This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is not above getting in someone's face and giving it the old fist pump. Mm. A somewhat passionate match against Man United, well, off the pitch anyway, but there is nothing like getting a last-minute equaliser to snatch a draw from the jaws of defeat, especially when it's against Man United, even more so when it's against your former manager, who just so happens to be your greatest ever manager and has spent the years since making a point of digging you out. For many, it was unpalatable that a large chant of fuck off Mourinho was heard at the end of the match, largely due to the aggro on the benches, I think it has to be said. However, for me, football is a passionate game, and as he said himself, within the 90 minutes of a football game, uh, Mourinho was the enemy. Basically, if you can't take it, then don't dish it out. As for the game itself, well, United allowed Chelsea to take control in the first half and the fact that they kicked Hazard out of the game and we don't have a striker worthy of the name uh, left the game within United's reach. No surprise that they upped their game in the second half and perhaps should have walked off with all three points. Thanks to Ross Barkley's last-minute equaliser, Chelsea remain unbeaten. But the thought lingers that when our luck runs out, will we rue the lack of a world-class striker who can score 20 goals a season. We will no doubt find out on the Chelsea Fancast number 437, entitled The Passion of Ex-Lovers. And uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, I have some current lovers with me tonight, <laughs> Mr. Jonathan Kidd and uh, Mr. Liam Toomey from ESPN, their Chelsea football correspondent. But uh, Jonathan, how are you, dear boy? Very good. Great title, Chidge. Great title. Thank you. Yeah, Thank great you. to hear. It's true, of course. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to admit it, but there are several. Yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, yeah, I'm sure that we, yeah, if we can all uh, relate to that a bit, and uh, particularly with football. Yeah, particularly yeah. with Mourinho. Yeah. Absolutely, well done. Mm-hmm. I'm very well. Thank you. I've had a very, very busy day today. I've been, Have you? Uh, been doing? Yeah, I've been voicing um, airport security. 
seriously? Yeah, yeah, airport security. <laughs> um, no, not actually airport security, but the documentary called Airport Security. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's about you... cocaine because there's a really? there's an equivalent one they have on, um, which is uh, border control, which they've got on Sky, which is with Australian border control. But they say things like, "You, you brought some." You brought some twigs into the country, so we're going to have to fine you a hundred dollars. They say, and the little the little person goes, "Oh no, not hundred dollars! Oh no!" Whereas um, in uh, in my world, it's Peru, and they say things like, um, uh, "Obviously, he said Spanish, and like that all the time." But the tr- translation says, uh, "In view of the fact that, uh, in fact, I say, it, uh, in view of the fact that you've just brought um, uh, several large numbers of kilos, eight kilos of cocaine into the country, you will go to prison." between 15 and 25 years. I have to say that. So uh, that was very good fun. I was doing that today. Excellent. Yeah. I shall look out for that. You must, you must. It's on on National Geographic. But it's also, uh, bits of it at the moment, Columbia, are on five star. Five star. So it's accessible. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Anybody on Mixler? Anybody on Mixler? Fancy having a look. It's a good series. Good series. And, uh, of course, we're kind of, you know, a man down tonight. Uh, we were going to have Dan, I think, uh, but Dan's busy, so we couldn't get Dan. But I, I think three is the magic number, really, so I'm, I'm not bothered at all. Gives us all a little bit more breathing space. And, uh, actually, I'm delighted because we've got Liam Toomey on again this uh, week. And, of course, Liam, Liam's contribution, Jonathan, is always wonderfully erudite, isn't it? Well, it's better than you and me, is what you're trying to say, well, isn't it, really? True. Yeah. In fact, this could very be true. the Liam Toomey show, couldn't it? We just, it could. We'll, we'll rename pl- it. Before we'll plug him in. Yeah. Plug him in, and we then will. Liam has to speak for, for uh, an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, it's I'll good. change the branding to, to, uh, to, uh, to reflect this. that. Yeah, good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Liam, how are you, mate? It's good to speak to you as always. I'm good. I'm very good. I didn't have as an exciting day as uh, Jonathan. I was spent most <laughs> spent most of the day just waiting to find out uh, from the FA whether they would take any action against a certain Chelsea assistant. So um, that, that's the glamorous part of this job. And what did they do? Did they do anything? They did. Yeah, he's been charged with improper conduct. Oh, what does that mean? A fine They're and uh... life imprisonment? No, um, no, it's a uh, uh, yeah, I think it's just a fine and a, and a warning, a stern, a stern look. And nothing from Mourinho, despite he, he's, the, uh, he's been he's been reminded of his responsibilities. Oh right, because quite frankly, somebody rushing after somebody else is as equally guilty for me. So uh, although well, he's, he's wound okay. up, let's talk about that later. Because uh, funnily enough, it'll be the first topic on the uh, agenda. Anyway, <laughs> on the show tonight. Uh, as I said, we're going to be discussing the fallout from the bust-up on the benches. Uh, was Marco Yanni classless? Did Mourinho manipulate the situation? Or was it an understandable reaction? And were Chelsea fans really classless in chanting fuck off Mourinho? I have some very strong opinions on that matter. Uh, in part two, we give some credit to Mourinho's tactics. We worry about Eden Hazard, despair about Morata, question Chelsea's defence, and finally offer a very warm tribute to Matthew Harding, who died 20 years ago today. And in part three, we have four excellent emails for Jonathan to read out. And in part four, now this is special. We've got, uh, as well as the usual kind of roundup of all the supporter news from uh, the Trust and CPO and people like that, we've got an interview with Chris Barnett, who has just produced a film called Bobby Tambling 202. Uh, and it's going to celebrate the career of Bobby Tambling, of course. And it has contributions from Frank Lampard, Kerry Dixon, Ron Harris and others. Uh, and we'll also have a competition to win a DVD of the film signed by Bobby Tambling. Now, the thing about this is that these DVDs are extremely rare 
as there are only, they've only made 25 of them and uh so if you win one of those you'll be a lucky lucky person so it's very very special and in addition to that in the interview I've got a couple of clips from the film uh, where you've got Frank Lampard talking to Bobby, which is brilliant to listen to. So look out for that in part four. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the show live Live. every Monday at seven o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea Hive and Fancast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And you can also tweet at Chelsea Fancast during the show to tell us what you think about the games and anything else, really. Uh, I say anything else on Chelsea, but actually it could be anything. If Jonathan can start, you know, if Jonathan can start the show telling us about the documentary he's voiced today, you know, you can talk about anything too. I don't mind. Now, uh, while while we're on the subject, uh, sorry about the delay uh, for the Mixler people. As it's a bit unavoidable tonight, I'm having all sorts of issues with a new version of Skype. Um, but that aside, delighted delighted to see so many of you in there. Uh, or- or- Aurelius, the thirteen, also known as Mark, is in there. English Dan. Uh, Harsh, who I'm very upset that I didn't manage to meet you before the game, Harsh. I really hope we get another chance to. But Saturday was a mental day for me because I knew I was going to get to the bridge late. And then I had the Supporters Trust meeting afterwards. So I'm really sorry I didn't meet you. But lovely to see you in here. Ali Fragley, who I did see after the game in the pub. Lovely to see her. Nikki Kilduff, Andrew Self, Isar Alamayscore, Boomer, Rob Coombe, Panky, Bert Stoltz, Vindablue, John Chips Chiverton. Bonnie Rigblues, so many others. Always great to see you in here. Now, after this little break, we'll be back to talk about Mourinho. Well, oh, dear me. Okay, where should we start with this? I think let, let's start with, uh, I mean, Jonathan and Liam have already kind of dipped their toe in the water uh, to an extent. And I think, as, as Liam was saying, we now know that uh, Yanni has uh, uh, been, uh, I think he's had a charge from the FA. Mourinho hasn't. Um, I mean, just the mentalness that's been, I mean, I did a, I did the afternoon, Sunday afternoon show at Love Sport yesterday. And that's all anybody wanted to talk about. And then, you know, on Twitter and the newspapers, I, I, I have to say, say I've, I've seldom seen so much arse gravy written and spoken about the incident in the benches and the Chelsea fans uh, apparently abusing Mourinho. Get a life... And, and the hypocrisy of it all, but I'll get onto that later. First of all, the spat. I mean, frankly, I thought it was handbags. I think, you know, yes, I think he was probably a bit out of order and disrespectful. But my, my feeling on it, uh, you know, Jonathan, is it's 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 football's about passion and tribalism. You know, it's war without the bloody bullets. So yeah, people get a bit out of hand at times, but deal with it, man. We're grown ups; we can cope with it. I suppose, I don't know. I suppose you were nearer to it than me. I was, so, I was, I was you know, right on yeah. top of it. Um, I suppose I think Liam was probably right on top of it, weren't you, Liam? You were you were just in front of it, weren't you? I wasn't. I was in. Uh, I was in a a house in Hertfordshire with friends oh, for the weekend, so I wasn't oh, actually at the game. All right, so I'm I'm the uh, I'm I'm the I'm the eyewitness. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. You could argue that if it is what you're saying, Chidge, if it's a passionate game, that we should forgive Mourinho for his ludicrous response, which is to 
dive after him down the tunnel. And what was he going to do when he yeah, when I he do. when he found him? Well, we're going to do. do was, was he going to beat him up? What was he going to do? No, but, but I felt, no, but that, Jonathan, yeah. that was that classic kind of, you know, hold me back, hold me back, hoping that somebody does. Well, so I told you, you who stopped him from doing yourself. it. Was um, was um, Gary Straker? He, yeah. he stood in front of him and held him back. And a steward. Gary. No, <laughs> good old Gary. And um, <laughs> and someone else, uh, some other steward, got hold yeah. of him and just held him there. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think he was terribly keen to get down the. Um, if he had confronted him, they might have had. Uh, they might have had blows. I don't think so. But, um, you know, you think, why didn't he do it the first time? Because the bloke did the same gesture the first time. He didn't see it. Yes, he did. He was watching him. You could no. sit on the box. Yeah, you saw him go no, in front no, of him. No, 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 no. From what I've seen on the box, I, yeah. I really do think honestly about this. Uh, you see you see him kind of run past. Mourinho's looking at, at the goal. You know, he's looking at, the you know, that end towards the Matthew Harding. And you can see he doesn't, he's not even aware of him. Tool. Oh, he I thought his head turned. Him when he comes back, no, no, no. Oh, okay. no, no. I watched it this morning, and I, oh. I kid you not, I, that's how I saw it. So oh. I don't think he was really aware. But he had two goes. What Yanni he? was doing. He had two he goes, Yanni. He had a yeah. he had a first fist pump, and then he had another one on the way back, and that was then. Yeah. It did. There's nothing wrong with a good fist pump. It did look like while Mourinho may not have been looking, it looked like the United bench at large sort of registered Yanni's presence after the first pass, and. um and, and and kind of were were sort of watching him to see what he did when he came back. And came that, back that, that, yes, that and that set everything up. I think part of it was that they'd reacted so enormously to the second goal, and I think that's what um, the reason that he did it. I don't know if you know you wouldn't have noticed, but they no. went completely they went completely berserk at the second goal at Marshall's second goal. To a degree that was, I thought, was ridiculously exaggerated. Well, what did they do? Because I couldn't oh, see Carrick, any of Carrick this. Carrick ran onto the pitch. Car- they all, uh, yeah, and they all bounced about like maniacs. <laughs> um, it really was bizarre. I kept thinking, well, all right, you scored a second goal, but you know, it's still only halfway through the second half. It's it? don't need to go completely berserk. But you know, that was that's my general reaction. I thought, all right, fair enough. You know, you're you're away. You're not playing very well at the moment. Uh, you've played better in the second half as you did against Newcastle. Um, and obviously they made a couple of positional um, changes which worked for them. So um, uh, perhaps they were they were they were passionate, too passionate. But um, uh, you know, um, yes. But I don't think I don't think what our friend did was classless. We haven't gone to that bit yet have we, the classless bit. I don't think we'll, we'll what get we're, on getting, we're getting onto it. But yeah, but it's kind of typical, isn't it? Really, that we'll, we'll get that with Mourinho. I mean. Um, I actually thought that he, he brought it upon himself. I don't know if I can speak about this now, but um, I'm worried. I'm worried about the order here. But the whole five minutes um, that was oh. that was that was absolutely unbelievably typical Mourinho with Rashford falling over for no apparent reason, then them taking an eternity to come out. Then he does two substitutions, and they all walk off unbelievably slowly. So it takes, it's four minutes, four and a half minutes. I timed it. Four and a half minutes that took. And then Mourinho complains when it's added on at the end. It's, and they score in the sixth minute. It's, it was, he did that for Inter against Chelsea. He did it every single opportunity he has once he goes into the lead. He will attempt to slow the game down and cheat. So, but the, the thing is, we, we can't complain because he's done it for us as well. So... Um, it's it's just look, it's you, the same yeah, stuff, exactly. you know. So to, to answer you, to answer your question of a minute ago, yeah. I have no problem with him at all doing anything that he did 
including including all the time wasting and especially when he you know kind of somewhat falsely leapt to try and lump somebody because he used to do it for us every yeah. week and we loved him for it and we loved and it him would be massively it would be massively hypocritical and the same thing to throw he's, our toys out the he slid now down the touchline didn't he for porto himself so there's yeah. there's the hypocritical aspect of it saying you know it's classless he he himself is 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 all over the place Mourinho. he contradicts himself all the time in order to to achieve um I don't know what is it. Is it the focus becomes on him through doing the that thing well, at the end? It completely took the focus off the whole game in the end, didn't well, it? I'll ask. I would like to ask Liam this because that that's interesting because one or two people in the press have have kind of come up with this line and uh, and wondered whether it was uh, a classic uh, kind of deflection from Mourinho. So you know the topic afterwards is all about you know what he did and that whole fracas rather than. You know, United uh, throwing away three points, which is really what they did at the end of the day, isn't it, Liam? Well, I think when it comes to him him jumping off the bench and, and going after Yanni, I don't think that was like a premeditated thing. I think yeah, I think I'd we give I think we give far too much I think we give Mourinho too much credit at times for for being this sort of for um, mind Mac- games. Yeah, yes. for this for for being this sort of Machiavellian schema when often he's just emotionally lashing out. And, you know, you, you see it with some of the things he says in press conferences about players that have no practical value. They actually harm his ability to do his job well. And we've seen it at Chelsea and, and now at United. A lot of the time, he just he just shoots from the hip. And I think that that moment happened so fast that that was just his in, his emotional reaction to what what Mourinho hates more than anything is the idea that he's being mocked. Um, or that he's being he, he disrespected. Him as, him, him as a person, or his reputation, or his achievements are being belittled in some way, and uh, and especially by a guy he's, he'd probably never heard of before that game, because Marco Yanni is not a particularly senior member of Maurizio Sarri's team. You know, he's had he, he's been mentioned more in the last two days than he has been probably in his entire career. Um, so he's, I think um, that that isn't he a isn't he the, one of the main proponents of the Cerismo idea of the whole the Napoli idea of the the uh, uh, of the press? I think that's what I read about him. He's he's very up on the tactics. He's almost like a a master tactician, isn't that what his role? Perhaps, perhaps. I, I'll be honest, J.K. I don't know a ton about him. Um, right. You know, I'm I'm still in the pro- process of getting to grips with members of of Sarri's backroom team on on a kind of individual level in terms of trying to understand what they all do. So he's, he's suddenly been catapulted into the limelight by this incident. Um, Well, perhaps he did it deliberately himself to get some, uh, well, maybe, maybe he did. I don't know. I don't know anything about his character. So (laughs) I don't know if he's the kind of character that would do that. I know that Sarri didn't appreciate it because the way he reacted after the game, he, he, he's just not interested in getting involved in anything like this. You know, he went out of his way to really praise Mourinho uh, pre-match, um, to take kind of the opposite approach to to, to Conte and, and and really be deferential to him and say I'm I'm nowhere near as good a coach as he is because look at his record. He just yeah. didn't. He doesn't want to get into it. He's he's in. Sarri's a Sarri can be a hot-tempered guy on the on the touchline. And he he's more than capable of getting into it with other managers and, and, and with, with staff, you know, it happened in Italy and he had some controversial moments that have been well documented, but outside the pitch, 
everything we've seen at Chelsea is he just wants to talk about football. He just wants to do football. And I think that's why he really didn't appreciate what, what Yanni did. That's why he made him apologise. And I think he considered the whole thing a, a bit of a dis- distraction. Yeah, I think I think the I I have to say I thought um, you know Sarri dealt with it in a very classy way, and I think you know in contrast to uh, Mourinho, who never apologises for anything, I thought he he was really good about it, and and I think he did the right thing actually. To be fair, because you know whatever whatever way we like to spin it, you know it, it was pretty disrespectful of Yanni. So you know I think fair play. Let let's let's move this on. But before I do, I, I just have to reiterate again. Some of the absolute shithousery that's been in the media today about you know Yanni getting sacked for this. I mean, you know Durham on talks. Well, that was that that came from Phil Neville's comments apparently on the live commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, an absolutely hilarious take. I think given 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 what the the manager of Manchester United has done over the years. Well, (laughs) and also an F and also an FA employee. Of course, we should add. Well, and it, and it was an opinion. The thing is, he made that opinion. He, he formed that opinion and said it during the game on on commentary. I believe on NBC on the American broadcaster, and it was the the. Undercut immediately by Sari's reaction, saying that, you know, they they were in the wrong. They'd apologised. And Mourinho saying that they'd come to him and apologised, and he accepted it. And all parties were just, yeah, let's let's move on. That, that's he apologised at the time, didn't he, Sarri? You could see that he was he grabbed Mourinho and said, "I'm sorry about this. We'll we'll talk about it in a minute." Because Mourinho seemed to be very um, docile immediately afterwards. Um, uh, and obviously, they then went. I think he said, "I will bring him personally to apologise to you." And then he did because he, he, that's what happened. Is he he met up with him and. Uh, and Yanni himself apologised, didn't he? What they should have done. So, uh, absolutely. Let's absolutely, move this absolutely. on a tad. Because, uh, you know, the other thing uh, which has got a lot of publicity ever since it happened was... A, a ver- well, I'd be interested to hear Jonathan's take on this in a minute, but, uh, you know, I'm up at the back at Gate 17, so you get a bit of a different perspective. But my perception of it was that a lot of people... I don't know how many. I mean, I couldn't say all four sides... I couldn't say if it was just the Matthew Harding end or whatever, but a lot of people were chanting "fuck off, Mourinho." I have to be absolutely honest with you. I joined in, and uh, I know that I write a lot and I speak a lot about Mourinho and the fact that I do love this guy, and I will always be grateful for what he did. He's without doubt the most successful manager manager we've ever had. He could well end up being the most successful. But uh, um, my view is is that I mean, as I said in the in, in the intro, you know, football. You know, the 90 minutes of the game, when the game's in progress, I don't care who you are, you are the enemy. You know, it's that simple. And yes, I am that tribal, as was pointed out by the people on Love Sport yesterday who couldn't believe how, you know, aggressive I was about this. But I said, it's a passionate game. That's the point. You're the enemy. You, we dig you out. If you can't, you know, take, uh, if you can't take it, don't dish it out, basically. So I joined in, which is unlike me. But you do get a bit swept away by it as well. I think the other thing is that I couldn't see what was going on at all because, of course, everybody was standing up, which obscured my view of the dugout. So my presumption was was that the people to the right of me were shouting, fuck off Mourinho, because he had kicked off and done something, which I'd, I'd kind of put two and two together because I saw a lot of the players running towards the bench. So I joined in, and I have to be very honest with you people, 
I found it really cathartic. <laughs> so there you go. And I'm going to leave it there. But Jonathan, I mean, you have a very different view than me, of course, in terms of where you sit. Uh, so what did you think about all of that? Well, I actually thought that they were there was a Jose Mourinho chant that evolved into fuck off Mourinho when people saw what was going on. Uh, because when they saw that Sarri and Mourinho were actually holding each other and it, would, it looked like a scuffle, right. that was the reaction. It was almost that people were actually reacting to the fact that they looked like a fight rather than because um, all around me, people just suddenly got very venomous with him. I, mean, I think there's a lot of mm. annoyance with him within the, the fans that uh, I, I personally don't, don't have for him because um, uh, I'll always remember him as the great manager that um, won us three titles. But then, you see, that was, that was the rea- his reaction to the three fingers was because he was yeah. being told to fuck off. That's why, that's why he gave the three fingers because it, it just mounted. And that's why he went specifically to applaud the Man United fans because he felt put upon. And uh, as Liam was saying, if he feels disrespected or his, his abilities uh, undermined, he'll always come back to that. Look what I've done for you. Um, but that was it. I don't think we'd have seen any of that if uh, there hadn't been the, uh, the, the venomous response. But, the, but that happened because he was seen to be, to, for me, he was in, an, he was in a, a rather um, uh, aggressive yeah. embrace with Sarri. Because And what was happening was that Sarri was saying, look, you know, I'm sorry about this. We'll deal with this. We'll deal with this. But it looked like there were all these people ha- holding on to each other and, and members of the staff are holding on to other members of staff. And Sarri is holding on to Mourinho. So the, the crowd reaction is one of, let's, well, mm-hmm. let's abuse him. But I thought it, 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 it I, I could have been wrong. I thought originally it was, it was more of a Jose Mourinho. And then suddenly people saw what was going on and then just went for him. So I think there were some people who were who were actually chanting his name normally, and then it just mutated because they saw actually there was a a bundle. Well, I, I don't know. Just below I don't know them. about that because so, I, uh, I didn't hear any Jose Mourinho before. It just everybody launched into a fuck off Mourinho. Well, I did around me. I did, but I mind you, yeah, I'm in yeah. I'm in the East Stand, so there are some people who are well, very, as am I. Are very I mean, fond of him. This is the weird so, thing, Jonathan. Uh, you you know me like you, and you know this. You, you and I do bloody two shows a week. My feelings about him have been very consistent on this. But I think, you know, I was going to talk about uh, his reaction in terms of the three fingers. And I think Liam's point about him being very susceptible to criticism and belittling and all the rest of it is really interesting because that's more proof of his very fragile ego and narcissistic behaviour. But uh, I have to say, I, I, I think I've showed the same... The same, you know, issue really, because I really did find it cathartic. And I think a lot of his digs in the last few years have wound me up a lot more than I thought they had, you know, to be very honest. So there you go. But uh, I have no problem with it. But I also, as again, like, like with the spat in the dugout, I don't have a problem with him giving the three fingers. In that match, he is no longer our manager. He is no longer one of us. And he is the enemy. And I, I have no problem with that. What I, what I wish would happen is that when we're not playing Man United and when he's away from us, he gives us the due respect that we deserve because I think respect is a two-way process, you know? You don't get it as of right. And if you dig us out, which he has done repeatedly to curry favour with the Man United fans, then I'm afraid you're going to have to expect that. Am I being a bit harsh, Liam, or is that a fair point? No, I think, you know... I, I, 
I think Mourinho has brought this on himself by being Mourinho for his entire career. (laughs) You know, someone raised a really good point. um, I can't remember, but somewhere in the in the massive discussion that's gone on around this incident in the last sort of twenty four hours, someone raised a really good point that if if it had been any other manager in that visiting dugout and the game had panned out exactly the same way, does Marco Yanni, who has as far as we know, absolutely no history with Mourinho on a personal, professional level. Um, do that, you know? Does he do that if it's Klopp or Pochettino or uh, Guardiola? You know, I, I don't think he does. It's because Mourinho, the the persona he's established within football, is of this kind of, you know, like Trumpian figure who <laughs> just it, is so divisive. That, um, and and is so keen to to play on tribalism wherever he is. You know, he more than any other manager, he has always known how to tap into the mentality of fans, whether that's to to get them on side or to to rile them up. He's always known what buttons to push. And when he was at Chelsea, he did it expertly. Even when he was on the way down in his second spell, he managed to convince. Um, a large swathe of Chelsea fans that the players were betraying him when clearly, you know, hindsight has shown, I think that that was not (laughs) certainly nowhere near 100% of the truth. And that quite a lot of it was his own, uh, him bringing about his own downfall. Mm. And now he's doing the same at Manchester United. He's, he's, he's getting the, he's keep managing to keep the fans on side. It's United fans have a tradition of being loyal you know, perhaps even to a fault no, to their managers, we, given the, we, the, 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 leg, the we, legacy of Fergie. To be fair, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, but I think, I think he's he's played that to his advantage in in both places. And um, even as he's encountered resistance from from media and from rival fans, and and even become a figure of fun in places, he's always retained that loyalty of his current club because he knows exactly what to say and how to say it. But it means that once he's left your club and he's he's suddenly wearing a different badge on his blazer and particularly if they're a natural rival of yours as, as United are for Chelsea then he is going to rub you up the wrong way because he, he consciously sets out to do that and he's just got an innate ability to be able to do that sometimes even when I think he's not just trying. To, to wrap this up chaps I mean you know I, I, I mean you know you should never ever 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 use Twitter as a barometer for anything at all really but I, I have been very aware of you know, the lot. I mean, basically, what happened on Saturday has given license to a lot of opposition fans to dig us out. But uh, the reality is, don't ever worry about they say what they say. You know, it's so football has become so one one eyed. It's not true. And the reality is, is that as a whole, as I was saying, I think we're very good. We're very supportive of, of former great players or or great managers who come back to us. We've proved it time and time again. I think there's a separate issue when it when it comes to Mourinho, which just you know sticks in people's craw, and I I do think it got let out somewhat on on Saturday, and I I was uh, I was very much part of that, uh, guilty or otherwise, um, and I think that the flip side of it is ha- how we treated Matter, who were uh, you know absolutely exactly, I was going to say a, that got a warm absolutely reception got applauded off when he got subbed, in spite of the fact that for some reason Mourinho's turned him into Roy Keane and he was kicking anything that moved. So, you know, we, we, we do welcome back ex-players and ex-managers and we give them a lot of love and warmth. But I just think there's something 
particular about Mourinho, and I think it was a real escape valve for a lot of people, myself included. Anyway, enough. After the break, uh, we're actually going to give some credit to Mourinho. Uh, you know, how, how, how lovely and balanced of us, but uh, certainly his tactics anyway. And uh, we are going to worry about Eden Hazard, despair about Morata, question Chelsea's defence, and also offer a very warm and heartfelt tribute to Matthew Harding, who died 22 years ago today. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast with me and uh, Mr. Jonathan Kidd and the very, very really? lovely Mr. Liam Toomey. Right, uh, quick Hello. shout out for the website. Loads of good stuff going on up there on a regular basis and uh, Simon Phillips and Dean Mears have now got their own columns. Uh, Simon's put a couple of blogs up there today so if you want to go and have a look at that, it's chelseafancast.com. Now, back to the football and actually, proper football chat, really, about blooming time, I hear some of you say. But, uh, you know, I, it was a weird old game, wasn't it, really? Classic kind of game of two halves. And, um, you know, I thought we were really good in the first half, uh, pinging it around as we were. Although I would say that I think that that was very much part of uh, Mourinho's game plan. Uh, you know, he just wanted to, to kind of, you know, sit there and defend. So he wasn't bothered about us having the ball at all. Uh, I don't think he planned to go 1-0 down. Anyway, second half was very, very different because I thought they suddenly woke up and they were much more at it. They were pressing, they were tackling us. And I think that they, they really knocked us off off course, actually. And we did start to get really sloppy. Passes started going awry. And, and I thought the most telling thing, actually, and I, I said this yesterday at Love Sport, uh, Sarri is quite a different kind of manager. He is... He has this ability to be ruthlessly honest about the way his team has performed without making it sound like he's angry or disgruntled or belittling his players. But he basically said what I thought, which is, you know, they were very clever United. They basically lulled us into a scrap. They knew they couldn't beat us at football, so they got us into a physical battle. And Sarri is right. We don't do well at that anymore. We don't have those kind of players. And we lost our heads. Passes going awry, long balls. I thought he nailed it, Jonathan. Well, he, he stopped yeah. playing uh, Sarismo in the second half completely, didn't he? I mean, I I I, I sat sitting next to a uh, mate of mine who I'd taken was a United fan, and uh, and he said, "You don't appear to be passing the ball anymore." And I said, "No, we're not. We're just booting the ball down the pitch." He se- it seemed to lose the shape, and I felt that was a little bit ominous, actually, for the. Um, the future of the team because it made me realize that his prophecies about it being still a work in progress were very much um, uh, indicated by that performance in the second half because in the first half I, I'm I'm not sure that we were we were he lulled us into a full sense of security I think we just played a lot better than them in the first half but I think they upped it and I think also Hazard was kicked kicked out of it and. Um, uh, and I don't think it's that he becomes the focus for us and we rely on him. I think he practically disappeared. I think that tackle on him Ashley in the Young. penalty area, I think Ashley it was Young. Smalling, was yeah. it? Who, 
was it? Oh, yeah, you're right. Young kicked him. I think that was he was really injured then. And uh, and I think he was uh, he's hurt. Well, there was a rumor, Jonathan. There was a rumor. There was a rumor that was missing going around the next today. Few days. He, he yeah. might have gone into the game with a back injury, but I agree with you entirely. Actually, uh, I thought I thought he he had by his current standards a quiet game, but I definitely think he wasn't the same after that young tackle. I mean, it wasn't even a tackle, really. He no, he wasn't. Him, and it was in the bloody penalty area. Nothing he just at kicked all for him. him. I know. I know, and he, he missed it. I don't think that um, no, I don't. Dean was that bad, actually, because he, he, he did give yellow cards to anybody who kicked him as much as he mm. could. He didn't wait and say, well, that's your first foul. But um, uh, I think Sari mentioned it, didn't he? He said that we were, they were much more physical. My, my despair is that we ceased to pass the ball and, as you say, just relied on long balls. But we're, we're going to get into it. it ultimately... Um, You've got to have a centre yeah. forward All who right. contributes, and uh, and the problem is, of course, is that um, uh, you, we can't rely completely on Hazard, and I don't think we do. And I, 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 my, but my huge positivity about the team is is I'm worried about the fact that that, that United up their game, and I think according to Jonathan Wilson in the Guardian this morning, he pressed Young and. Um, Shaw, I thought Shaw had an excellent game. In fact, I was really impressed with Shaw because he seems to be a um, get a lot of bad press about being lazy and fat, particularly from Mourinho himself. Very skillful and uh, some terrific crosses and very impressive. And they seem to just up their game and allow Pogba to come into it as a consequence. Pogba, Pogba had a much better second half, and they suddenly and even Lukaku suddenly started looking effective. But we we. Um, as you say, and also, you know, I felt I felt the two goals were given let's, away um, let's part with that, ludicrous yeah. uh, errors. We're going to get on to that, in. aren't we? Uh, all right, really, all right, just right. to pick up on this yeah, hazard yeah. thing, because I noticed this as well today, but there's a stat uh, that uh, on average uh, Hazard gets fouled 2.6 times a game, but for United in the last four uh, visits, it's, it goes up to 5.5. That's from our great mate Nicky Kilduff. Um and you kind of have to expect that. And, I, you know, at the end of the day, I expect, you know, I expect the players to get protected to some extent by the referee. But what I like about Hazard is that on the whole, uh, you know, he, he takes those hits. You know, it's, he knows he's going to get it and he doesn't complain. Uh, he doesn't dive. He doesn't roll around feigning injury. Uh, I think the referees misread it sometimes because, you know, frankly, when he goes down and doesn't get up, it's because he's hurt. Uh, but I do think he was quietened down by that. I do think that he effectively was kicked out of the game, uh, Liam. And I, and I do worry uh, that, you know, we're putting a very unfair load on him. And I think largely because of the hits that he takes. Do you think that's reasonable? Well, I think he's had an unfair load on him creatively uh, for most of his Chelsea career, um, at, at the very least. And, and because he's because he's so clearly the biggest threat in this team, he will always be the target of of physical teams, um, and and given his style, given the fact that when he receives the ball, his first instinct is to put his body between the defender and the ball. He is he is going to get those get, get those hits because defenders are going to be very very happy to come through him to to, to try and do it. And um, you know we've seen it from Mourinho. Mourinho has done it to to flare players wherever he's been. I remember watching. Lionel Messi get an absolute pelting throughout several Clasicos when against Madrid's against the uh, Mourinho's Madrid, where he basically put three defensive midfielders in midfield or, or Pepe at the base just as as like a kicker. So 
he's not above those things. And, and of course, we saw Ander Herrera get sent off at Stamford Bridge a couple of years back because they, they got the rotational fouling slightly wrong and he, he kicked Hazard twice within the space of about 10 seconds. Yes, yes. Um, and, and and got himself sent off. They they clearly got it right on Saturday from their point of view. Um, what I would say is that, you know, the amount of teams that try to do that to Hazard is the number of teams that try to do that to Hazard is much, much bigger than the number of teams that succeed. And I think that's a real testament to him as a player. Um, that even if he does get hits and, and fouled to that kind of degree, he very, very rarely is is neutralised in that way. It it, do, it doesn't generally work. You know, it's the first instinct of a of a manager to get physical with a flair player, but he is exceptionally durable, very, very strong, and it's rare that he goes missing, particularly in big games. He's been an excellent big game player for yeah, Chelsea. He was, on the whole. It didn't happen against Liverpool, did it? He was there all the way through with Liverpool. But yeah, I mean, and and I think. Uh, you know, he he is going to have a bad game every now and then, and we'll know more about whether there's a, a problem with him when Chelsea have their open training session on Tuesday ahead of the the Barté game. Yeah. Oh, sorry, on Wednesday. It'll be interest. It'll be interesting to see whether he well, heard, trains with the group, regardless of whether he's I've going heard to play that, he, that game. He or may, not. He's a doubt for both Barté and uh, Burnley at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, I would imagine Chelsea's plan is probably to give him the midway, midweek off anyway, even if he was fully fit. So, But it, uh, whether he trains or not on Wednesday will, mm. might be a decent indicator because if he sits out that session, then that could have implications okay, for, right. for Burnley. Good point, Liam. I like that. Um, right, Jonathan, let's pick up from where you were. I, I agree with you, actually. I thought the defending for the, the two goals was poor. Uh, let's let's look at the first one because I think the what I couldn't understand from where I am and I mean it's a long way away in a sense so it's easy to miss stuff so I couldn't understand why Alonso was rolling around on the ground obviously looking injured so you know my ire was aimed directly at Mike Dean for not stopping the play and and, and I will have done that and and actually 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 done that. And, and actually, that's, that's the letter of the <laughs> law. You point. know, he doesn't have to stop Very the play unless point. it's a head injury. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Absolutely. I mean, you know, should, should we... Should we I, I mean, look, here's the thing. I think if you've got a player who's, you know, writhing around in agony on the six-yard line, it's clearly going to be a distraction. And so the question is, should Alonso... Because apparently he got up and he was fine afterwards. So should he have been doing that? Did he cost us there? Well, he, he, he didn't writhe, though. He just lay there like a stone. Um, and uh, it just seemed bizarre, didn't it, that the game went on around him, and yet the referee can't... Ha- what does the referee do? He can't... It, it, the moment somebody goes over, unless it's a foul, he can't blow up if the game's going on. He just has to allow the game to carry on and then deal with it after the uh, after the ball's out of play, in this instance, after the goal. But yes, it seemed, on reflection, having seen it on the, on the box, I think Lukaku clipped him, but... Um, uh, the fact that he went down and did nothing looked to me as if he was trying to gain an advantage. And Dean is definitely not going to have anything to do with that. I think if he, if he had writhed around or if he'd attempted to get up, fair enough. But uh, um, perhaps he thought, well, if I just lie here and don't do anything, it'll look as if I've been practically fatally injured. I don't, I don't know. From, from a referee's point of view, the referee can't act every time the, the player falls over. He doesn't know what's happened. And if the linesman doesn't see it, um, didn't see the foul, then 
he hasn't got a leg to stand on, as it were, poor old Alonso. No, he should really, I think, have attempted to get up because, in fact, if he got up, no, um, Martial no. would never have got the ball because it went straight, o- straight, o- straight over him. Yeah, he was, to me, he was ludicrously at fault with that. Even though he, if he was clipped by Lukaku, he should at least have held his foot or something rather than just lying there. Because it looks, as you say, if, if he had had a head yeah. injury, he'd have been knocked out. It was a very strange set of circumstances, I thought. And I thought Dean had had no alternative. I'd I'd be the first to knock Mike Dean. But I think, you know, basically, you know, he he didn't really have a lot of options there. Um, Louise was was completely different, really. I mean, it happens. I get that. But, you know, you either get the man or the ball in that situation. And he got neither. And, of course, that left a massive space in the defence, which, of course... Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal. Brilliant from Martial. From Martial, who suddenly looked like a, a better player. But but what what of course the, the mistake Mourinho made was to take him off, wasn't it? And um, and try and defend it, um, which is a kind of typical Mourinho thing. Because I think if they'd carry on attacking, they probably would have scored again. The way we were, we looked a bit frail. But I think by then we'd been the stuffing had been knocked out of us. Because we should have we should have been three 0 yeah, up in the first half. We we should, and I think before we get you know into a kind of an idea of uh, you know criticizing Louise, uh, you know he, brought, yeah, he got us back great in the header, game, wasn't it? Actually, with great that header. header, wonderful header. Yeah. So, you, and I've got to be honest, Jonathan. I think our character. Uh, we'll talk about this later, really. But I think I, what I'm liking about this side is is the character that we we seem to have when we do go a goal behind. Uh, they up the game and they they get back into it. Um, right, let's uh, let we'll pick up on that later. Let's talk about Morata because I, I oh, bloody hell, I mean I despair. I I really genuinely despair. I want to support this guy. I want to desperately want to see him do well, but I really don't think he does himself any favors. But just judging on the performance I saw against United, you know he just doesn't seem up to it. He can't hold the ball up. Uh, you know, every time a defender gets in his ass, he falls over. Uh, I think the other thing that I find quite criminal is that he just doesn't move into space. There were so many occasions when Hazard or, or Kovacic or Alonso or, or, or Aspilicueta had gotten to a good position to put the ball across and he was nowhere to be seen. And I think, you know, I just, I just the way I see it at the moment, I mean, there is absolutely no no level of improvement and before people shout at me and said Albert Chinji were going on saying how wonderful he was for scoring against Southampton yes and he was that day but that was Southampton who were shit you know the reality is I just don't see any level of improvement with him I completely I, I, I watched him specifically because um, he's beginning to do my head in um, and once again, I, once again I'll keep on saying this if, he, if he'd started off badly we'd have all thought well he's just rubbish but the fact that he was good initially just makes me think what on earth has happened to him. He he doesn't seem to be interested. I can't believe I'm saying this about a Chelsea player or a person in the, a player in the Premier League. But he there were the two occasions he was offside, one after the other, he didn't seem to be looking at the ball at all. He was just looking at the centre-half or just latching himself onto the centre-half. You think, no, move away from the centre-half. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And And... And just not concentrating, uh, and I thought he's just really not. He's looking so weedy as well. He's not making any proper challenges. Um, it can't go on, can it, Chidge? Let's be honest. And I felt he he kept him on well, far I, too long, actually. Mate, I I don't think so at all. And I mean, you know, 
I'd be interested to hear what Liam thinks. But I thought, you know, again, when Giroud came on, uh, he, we looked a better side. I mean, because actually, I, I, was si- I was sitting there saying to the bloke next to me, I said, mate, we're playing with 10 men yeah. at the moment. And when Giroud came on, I mean, at the least, the minimum that he does is he can hold the ball up and bring, you know, other players like Hazard back into the game. Uh, I mean, sadly, he is as woeful at finding the net as bloody Morata is. I mean, he, he kind of fell over the ball with a golden opportunity. But I think he's an improvement. But the thing is, Liam, uh, you know, A, are Morata's days numbers? Because do do there were rumours kicking around last week in the media that he, he might well be off. Uh, so are his days numbered? Will he be off? And the other thing uh, to finish that up is, you know, will not having, uh, you know, any good goal-scoring strikers at the moment cost us in the end? And I think, you know, I, I look at this team at the moment and I think you've got the potential there for, for a title challenge if we had a 20-goal score, 20 goals a season score. Yeah, and I don't think Chelsea are title challengers um, pre- predominantly with the striker situation the way it is, as you say. And I, I don't think the situation as it stands is sustainable um, with Morata. Either he has to find a different mentality um, on the pitch and off the pitch because he, he, he seems to have the same sort of demeanour off the pitch um, or it, it's just not going to work. And, and Chelsea, I, I suspect, um, I don't know, I don't think it will happen as soon as January just because it's very, very difficult to get the players that you want in January and to and to do sort of home run level business winter window but uh, I think if it, Chelsea will not have the patience with Morata that they had with Torres I, I really don't I don't feel that will be the case they will not give Torres the benefit of four or five Chelsea managers um, saying, oh, this one might fix him. You know, I, th- I think Morata, if he doesn't work under Sarri, I think Chelsea will cut their losses with him and 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 try and get someone else. And I also think that Sarri himself, if things carry on the way they are, um, Sarri will probably experiment with a false nine before the end of the season. Um, he's he's already relegated Morata to the bench for for a stretch. With, with Giroud and of course Giroud is not a long-term fix because of his own limitations as a player but the one thing he does at least give you is if he's not scoring and if he is playing the majority of the game with his back to goal he is still very good at making the the players around him better he is an asset to your team even if he's not a direct goal threat and Morata just isn't he he's got the tools to be effective in more ways than just scoring goals he he is he is big. He is. He he can be strong when he wants to be. He's quick. He's two-footed. His technique is is better than Diego Costa's was, um, and and is. But it's just putting it all together with uh, whatever's going on between his ears. And it, it it. I mean, it's just it's just not working at the moment. It's a really jarring fit. And and every time you look at him, you know the 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 sentence that comes to mind is he just needs a goal. But he got two just before the international break, and and goals don't exactly. seem to make a difference to his general um, my, mindset and confidence level. This just yeah. seems to be who he is, and that's the that's the worrying thing because that's that's kind of the pattern that that emerged with Torres, where even even the odd goal here or there, the odd you know false dawn, proved to be no no more than that, a, a mirage in the desert. But with, with Morata. I think you're not even getting 
at times you're not even getting the the running and, and the effort that Torres provided and that's that's a real worry for Chelsea now and and going forward because they've invested an awful lot in this guy. Mm. Um, there's a good point to be made, I think, uh, Liam, that uh, who, who am I to criticise Sarri? I mean, obviously nobody, but, you know, I'm entitled to an opinion and I, and I kind of wonder whether he actually got his starting 11 right uh, or not because... You know, William, Maratta, and Kav- Kovacic all went off. I don't think Kovacic had a good bad in the game first half. Means, actually, good in the William, first half. Yeah, I thought I thought William was a bit yeah. disappointing. Maratta, we've already talked about, but he basically brought on Pedro, Giroud, and Barkley, and we looked much better with them on the field than the other three. I think. I mean, Barkley, I think is 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 blossoming. No other word for it. Scores again, and I just thought it was a very good goal. Actually, he was in the right spot at the right time, helped by Pogba going AWOL, of course. But I think he's really blossoming into a decent player. But I thought Giroud, you know, as I said, certainly against a side like United, who you knew were going to be physical, would have been a better option. Uh, and I and I and I and I think at the, I, I, this is the thing. I think Pedro is more suited to uh, Sarri's uh, style of football than he said so, hasn't he? Actually, I think, I think Sarri has said that. Yeah, I think I Barkley really was supposed to have been injured, though, wasn't he? Chidge coming back from England, and that's yeah, why he, he was, didn't actually, play him because be I think fair, at the moment yeah. he'd play him instead of Kovacic. Just because he, he he appears to have a better shot on him, because once again Kovacic uh, um, had air shots from the edge of the area. He's just not a very good uh, he's not very good at shooting, unfortunately. But I, I, I thought he worked terribly well down the left hand side against Young with Hazard in the first half. Uh, Kovacic, I thought he looked um, class apart actually. Just seemed to fade. He seems to take him off after. 70 quite regularly whether he gets a bit knackered I don't quite know what happens there but um, no Barkley just seems to get better and better and I think uh, his ability to score goals is something that uh, I think he'll rely on um, but uh, he, he, he's uh, he's looking a class act isn't he for 15 million Barkley blimey yeah definitely definitely so do you, do you think he got the starting 11 wrong Liam well I I think he should have started Pedro, particularly given that he wasn't in the Spain squad. So he had he had two weeks off. Um, I think Pedro is a far better balance for the rest of that front line. I've, I've said it before, but I think Hazard and Willian are too similar, um, particularly if you have a number nine that isn't prolific, because they're both pass first guys by nature. And Hazard is trying to shoot more and be more aggressive this year, but some days he will... Um, go back into into old habits, and Willian doesn't doesn't shoot as often as he should either. So when you've got one of those guys on each side, you end up with a lot of sideways passing and, and menacing dribbling that doesn't actually end in anything. And uh, whereas Pid- Pedro, every single time he gets the ball, his first thought is, "Can I get a shot off? Can I trouble the keeper?" And he is the best finisher in the squad. Um, so I, I definitely would have played him. Barkley had had a knock which Sarri had disclosed so I wasn't surprised to see him on the bench I also think maybe Sarri was prioritizing he knew United would probably pick a team full of pace to try and counter attack which they did um, so I think he was prioritizing his best midfield for keeping the ball and Kovacic for for his limitations in the final third I think he's he's an excellent tactical tactical player to, to maintain control with passing. You know, him, Jorginho and Kante is, is a fantastically technically gifted midfield, although it's probably the, the least physical Chelsea midfield for about 15 years. Um, but well, it, but yeah. 
Yeah, we did so. Yeah, exactly. We've been saying that for a while. I mean, actually, on that point, I I, I think you know a lot of debate still kicking around about you know the validity of uh, starting with Kante uh, and how do we find a position for him. And I think actually he's essential, even if he's not playing in his you know best uh, and preferred position, because you know our, without Kante in it, our, our midfield would would not only be lacking the physical qualities that you need in a midfield, but it would have absolutely no pace. So, you know, I think that that might put that argument. Yeah, he's, I mean, think? he's one of a kind, Kante. He's, he's the best midfielder of his type in the world. And even if even if he maybe is slightly better at the base than, than where he's playing, even if, you know, bombing this far forward isn't quite his, uh, his best sort of wheelhouse, he is still a fantastic, fantastic player. I mean, he nearly scored. He forced a good save out of De Gea in the, in, in the second half. Um, so he, he still has got the ability to, to carry a threat going forward, but everything else he brings with his energy, with his, with his positional intelligence, with his ability to just hunt the ball wherever it is, um, he's, he's absolutely invaluable, particularly when you've got a guy next to him in Jorginho, who is a, is a brilliant passer, a metronomic passer and a, a really intelligent footballer, but is athletically limited. He's, he's skinny. He's not the fastest. He can be muscled off the ball. He can be run off. You know, you need a guy like Kante next to him who has the the athletic gifts that he doesn't. He seemed to disappear in the second half, Jorginho. I could I could, don't remember seeing him with the ball very much. Um, whether that was once again down to uh, um, the, the the tactics that Mourinho uh, um, displayed for the team, but uh, the the normal, um, as I said, the the pressing setup, the 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 Cerismo way of playing just disappeared, so uh, um, people weren't in their comfort zone at all, um, and therefore weren't actually delivering the, the the kind of performance that he was after. He was constantly leaping about all over the place and smashing the edge of the uh, uh, of the dugout, old um, Sarri, because it just wasn't what well, it, it was so alien to the way he thought they would perform, and uh, um, that that's that's the the worst that I've seen them play, or the, let's say the the most that they have they have rejected his style, and just almost just went back to a kind of uh, um, how do I deal with this situation? And well, what we do is we just defend and and boot the ball up the pitch, which isn't going to help anybody. Um, mm, agreed. Anyway, uh, luckily uh, we got a late goal again. Um, Jonathan, this is a good one. We've got we've scored more uh, goals in the last fifteen minutes of a match than anyone else this season, and and as I was saying earlier, I think it it you know, it's a will else, to win, it, isn't it? it shows, will to win, yeah, yeah. They got tremendous yeah. character this side already, which is I think a, a real compliment to what Sarri's done and to themselves. And of course, it means that we're we're still unbeaten. Which the is dilemma fantastic. is, this, I mean, we're almost yeah. But in the November. dilemma is, is that all the other teams around us are catching up because we're drawing. Um, because uh, tonight, well, there will be three teams on 21 if uh, Arsenal win tonight. Uh, and, and so, uh, but having said that, though, the 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 uh, the two teams, Liverpool and Man City, have only got 23. So it's looking closer and but closer, here's the isn't thing, it? Yeah. But, yeah. but here's the thing, you know, in uh, towards the end of October, did you think that we would be two points behind Man City and Liverpool? Um, I th- sort of did, really, yeah, because I thought that he was doing so well. I also think... That we'll we'll keep on beat before the season yeah, started. Yeah, I was pretty confident just because I I read up a bit on what he'd achieved at Napoli. So yeah, I'm I'm and also it would be a excuse me a new broom in. I felt that um, 
You know, I'm I'm always quite positive about these things. I'm never quite. I'm never. I even thought we'd win four 0 on Saturday, if you remember, which was ludicrous looking back at it because uh, Mourinho always manages to uh, to cultivate something. But um, no, I'm I'm a great fan. I think he's uh, he's he, if he gets the opportunity to create the right team that, that he wants, I think we'll we'll win everything ultimately. I really do, and I think what Liam was saying about not playing the centre forward. Or even getting somebody in um, who fits the uh, the pattern. I think the the, the board will back him because they realise that they've got a real gem in Sarri. I think they realise that already, and so I think that this season we may not. I think we'll. It's. Well, I think we'll finish third or fourth, but I, I ultimately think we'll uh, we'll be a top team in Europe. Um, I think he's wonderful. Mm. Well, listen. I mean, I'm not downhearted at all, really. I, I, I you know, look. Here's the thing. I, I really don't think we deserve to lose the match. No, I agree. Uh, I, I agree. thought we were the better yeah. team. I thought we were the better team, but I would be honest enough to say I don't think we really did enough to win it. So I think actually, you know, a draw is probably a fair result. But I've got to be honest, JK, there is nothing like that feeling of snatching a draw from the jaws of defeat with a last-minute equaliser. I mean, I, I leapt up like we'd won the Champions League. It was just... As did everybody else. I mean, it was... You know, I think the, the expression is our end <laughs> fell. I mean, it was just brilliant. You know, that is for me what football is all about. And I left that, I left that match feeling absolutely drained. You know, I left it all in the stadium and then I had to go and bloody check great. the sports it, trust me. It's and great, I was off the booze. To, to go. I, I think that's a wonderful feeling actually watching a game of football like that and, and being so pushed backwards and forwards and seeing your team then then score in the last minute to get, to, uh, to get back to parity. I think it's no wonder you're exhausted because emotionally you're so involved. I think that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, excellent stuff. Liam, I mean, you know, Jonathan and I are basically pretty happy, really, with what's going on. Are you, are you kind of happy with where we are at the well, moment? Well, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. I think the the style of attacking football is is really encouraging, given, you know, when you think about what Sarri sets out to achieve with his style, I think they're a long way down the road. Um, and that's only, <laughs> that's only really... That's only really with about two new players, um, just with Jorginho and Kovacic. So I think uh, I think they're they're really they're they're doing really really well in an attacking sense. They've got the pressing largely down, and I think the the biggest limitations now are the limitations of personnel um, that he has maybe defensively, where you saw you saw it at times with Alonso's lack of pace, United attacking the the spacing behind that, David Luiz's limitations both maybe uh, in terms of speed, but also in terms of his concentration um and mm. you know clearly the the lack of a the lack of a number nine those, those big question marks at both ends of the pitch are not going to go away this season um but sarri sarri won't hide from them he's a, he's a coach first and foremost and he'll work with the players he's got and i think even if they're not title contenders i i still think city are going to win this league and win it fairly handily um I think they're going to be very, very good. I, pre- I predicted they'd finish third before the season started, and I'm more confident in that prediction than than I ever was pre-season. Mm. Good stuff. All right, let's have a natter about uh, something which, for all of those that were uh, around at that time, uh, you know, still get a bit sad about, really, and that's the uh, the passing of Matthew Harding 22 years ago uh, in, a, in a helicopter accident, which was terrible at the time. Um 
you know, Jonathan, what 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 would you what do you think that Matthew Harding would think about Chelsea today? Um, I, I'd uh, I think he'd be annoyed that he didn't um, in the end up running the club because uh, I think that's what he wanted to do. Uh, in which case, we'd never have had um, uh, Abramovich unless he could have worked with him because I think he he he, he at the time. Uh, we were all very willing for him to take over from Ken Bates, weren't we? We wanted a breath of fresh air. We um, yeah. And the, the, the thing about Matthew Harding was that he was unbelievably approachable. And and uh, I haven't heard a bad word said against him, actually, from anybody. Uh, just once him, took Jonathan? his hand, that was all. But um, uh, not, you know, not to chat. Um, but that seemed to be the consensus, that he was very accessible and just an ordinary you know, ordinary supporter in his eyes, and he'd have a word with anybody. Um, uh, and it, I, I just wish he'd got on... Well, if he got on better with Bates, we probably would never have had the Abramovich era because uh, he would have That's actually... He'd have lent him the money and Bates wouldn't have then sold out. Or Having said that, though, Abramovich, if, if, if Howding had been in charge, he might have, uh, he might have been a, a businessman and sold out to Abramovich. Um, but uh, uh, and there was some some uh, uh, misunderstandings, I think, between Bates and Harding that we we never because Bates Bates um, in his there was a program on Sky recently and he said that in factual fact he he just lent them the money and he found it a bit worrying that he wanted to take over so Bates felt a little bit um, under the cosh from Harding because Harding clearly had so many people very keen on him to to, to run the club. I felt Bates had somehow was was past his sell by. But um, uh, clearly, a very charismatic um, supporter with with who wanted the club to improve and was willing to invest. So uh, you know, a real shock. And I have to say that the 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 fixture that we had just after the uh, his 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 death at the Bolton game was um, against Spurs, and the Spurs supporters were fantastic. Uh, that day and that's something that I don't think anybody really mentions as they were unbelievably respectful and they were great they were good they were good when Ozzy died as well weren't they they? yeah yeah remember that cool um Liam uh what do you think his legacy might be well I don't know really I think um I think it's interesting what JK says about the the different path the club might have taken if He'd, he'd have ended up in in control, and in in some ways, in that respect, it's it's kind of a a, a legacy um, tragically unfulfilled from from his perspective, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's it's an intriguing one. I mean, I, I'm I'm always struck every time you know there's an anniversary like this, or even my memories. You know, I was quite young at the time when when, when he died, but even my memories of, of, of that story when it, when it happened, uh, just the reaction, the, the emotional reaction of Chelsea fans and just being struck of struck by how warmly he was regarded by, it seemed to be everyone. It seemed to seem to be unanimity, um, across the, across the fan base of, of affection for him. And, um, it, it, it's, it's equally striking that it, that it doesn't dim over the years. And I think, to be honest, I think kind of that that warm feeling is probably his biggest legacy because he didn't get to achieve maybe quite as much as he wanted to while he was in a position of power at the club, but he he clearly touched a lot of people. Mm. I think if there is a legacy at all, I think you know Matthew was around 
just as things began to turn around for us, you know, when when Glenn Hoddle was appointed and we started getting people like Rude Hullet, uh, and uh, you know, suddenly there was somebody with a bit of, bit of vision around the club. And I know he didn't really live to see, you know, he didn't live to see us win the FA Cup, which was our our first trophy in 20, 26, 27 years. So, but he, I think he said, I think he was really instrumental in setting the ball rolling. And I think a lot of people talk about this is that. Uh, you know, as significant to the Chelsea we have now is that period in 94-95 when Hoddle turned up. And as I said, we started getting some some world-class players coming to Chelsea. And I think really that's where modern Chelsea started. And don't forget, we won a lot of trophies before Roman turned up. And as I said, I think Matthew Harding was at the start of that. So for me, that's what his legacy is. I think he's he's very much part of creating the modern Chelsea that we know today. And And, and I think that's why he's so warmly uh, remembered and I think and I, and I have to be honest I'm very proud that I sit and have sat for 16 years now I think in the Matthew Harding end because I, I love the fact that it commemorates him and I also love the fact that nearly every game my lot well not my lot but you know Matthew Harding uh, upper particularly always belt out the Matthew Harding's blue and white army chant uh, which I think is a very fitting I think he would like that you know I like to think that if he was looking down on us I think he'd be chuffed that we still sing that now. So there you go. So Matthew Harding, you're you're still loved and well remembered, and rest in peace. Right, uh, part three coming up. We've got some excellent uh, emails for Jonathan to read out, and uh, it'll be fun as it always is. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved blue boy's life. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. 
Right, welcome back. I'm Stamford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun, uh, as we always do. But it's uh, it's now time. No, I'm not suggesting that this bit is not fun. By the way, I just realised how I'd said that. <laughs> However, it it's really now Jonathan. Yes. However, it is now Jonathan. Yes, I know it's been great up to now, but I'm afraid now it's Jonathan's. No, I didn't mean it like that at all. It's my favourite bit of the show, actually, because I love it when people take the time and the effort to send in an email to us. And I love the fact that uh, probably one of the best voiceovers oh in the God, country thank, oh, uh, reads them out, please. reads them out for free oh and for love God. in a much better and more beautiful oh. way than what I could. Now, this first yeah. one, Jonathan, I'm in particularly in love with, and there's a, a section in there which explains why. But Robert Pryor, I, I I haven't seen him for ages, years, but I know Robert's one of the first listeners to the fan cast. It is so good to hear from him. So Robert off you Pryor. go, mate. Hi, guys. This is just a quick email just to say thank you. I've been listening to this show from the very beginning when it was just some ramblings in a boozer after the game. I can honestly say I've hardly missed one since. I live up north now, so get to a few away games. But with distance, work and kids, I don't get to go to the games like I used to. So this show really keeps me informed with all things Chelsea from proper fans. I listen Tuesday mornings, so it certainly makes work a bit easier. I started going to Chelsea in the 80s, had a season ticket for most of the 90s and rarely missed a game in the early noughties. So I've had some amazing times at Chelsea. But one game me and my friend always laugh about is when I won a competition with the fan cast and a betting firm to watch a match in a box with Chidge and Cheltel with free beer and free wine available all day. To say it turned into a very, very drunken day stroke night would be a slight understatement. But what a laugh we had. So I just wanted to say thank you, Chidge. You ran with this podcast when hardly anybody knew what a podcast was. And it's because of you that this show now connects Chelsea fans from all over the world. And what a wonderful thing that is. Hear, hear. Your commitment to get fantastic guests, write scripts and get a show out every Monday and now doing other shows as well yes, is an amazing achievement. You are a legend, my friend. I'm heading down for the Everton game on November the 11th, and I will certainly be popping into the cock to buy you a beer. Would love to be a a mineral water, won't it, Chidge? From Rob Fryer. Win or lose, up the blues. Marvellous. What? Yeah, what a top, top email. I do love Rob. I've still got the pictures, actually, from, from that day. I'm sure, yeah, I know they are, because you took them, Rob, and sent them to me, so I've got them somewhere. I'll just stick them on the website or something. But, uh, yeah, brilliant day, and uh, we were so lucky. We had a good run at that and got absolutely mullered for every single time we did it. Uh, funnily enough, it's never happened since. I can't think why. Um, but, uh, yeah, Rob, I mean, I, I, I might not be at the Everton God. game on the 11th. Yes, I might not be there because I'm I'm supposed to be in Southampton uh in the evening to see Killing Joke, but I'm I'm not only, you know, missing the game, but I'm also missing Neil Smith's <sighs> book launch. Uh he wrote this book, uh Where Were You When You Were Shocking? Where Were You When We Were Shocking, I should say. In fact, I'm going to do an interview with with uh, Smithy hopefully just before then so that we can get him to talk about it. It's brilliant, the book. Anyway, I'm I'm digressing. Um, I'm I'm beginning to kind of reappraise whether I should be at the Efton game or not, Bob. And uh, I'm thinking I might have to be at the game after all, just so I can see you, mate. <laughs> but thank you so much for writing in. Really good. Chich, to hear can't from you me. get down to um, Southampton really quickly after the game? Well, I mean, it's a two-hour yeah. drive. Uh, it's an yeah. early kickoff, isn't it? 
I thought it was. Isn't it? Is it half I, two? I can't remember. Yeah, but shouldn't you be able then to, even if it was two hours? I mean, Killing Joke won't be on till about nine, will they? Well, there we go. I think, yeah, fuck it, I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be, I'll be at the game. But I don't will kill yourself driving ball. back, okay? <laughs> Good stuff. Nah, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Next one, Tommy, Tommy Milos. Yes? Correct pronunciation, do you reckon? Tommy, Tommy, so, Tommy yeah. Milos. Dear Chidge and Co., as I watched us try to level the United match with bated breath, I found myself bemoaning Barclays' inclusion. I was frustrated that my countryman, Kovacic, had been dragged off at the hour mark yet again and that we'd lost the cohesion and composure that he offered. Kovacic's chemistry with Hazard is blatantly obvious and it's beautiful to see their one-touch interplay and the way they overlap each other with an innate understanding for the other's game. With this in mind, I swore rather loudly as I saw his number flash onto the fourth official's board. It's rather poetic, isn't it? While Barkley had just justly praised Sarri for making him a better footballer, and I'm pleased to see his resurgence, I still think he has a way to go to achieving the tactical awareness that Kovacic has in knowing when to pass, when to move, etc. As I watched on and saw Ross make several robust tackles, my unfairly harsh view of him softened. I was obviously perturbed because of my Croatian bias towards Kovacic, but I also realised I was frustrated by an almost Conte-like pragmatism on Sarri's part. This pragmatism is on view every time he substitutes Barkley for Kovacic and insists upon leaving Kante on the field. Now, don't get me wrong, I love N'Golo and understand the balance that he offers to the team, as well as the near-manic dynamism he brings when we don't have the ball. But I would still love to see Kovacic and Barkley paired together in the midfield when we're chasing a result. It's as if Sarri has the same reluctance to pair the two as Chidge has to enlist the smut buddies, Tony and Alex, on the same podcast. I'm not quite sure that's true, Chidge, is it, really? Um... The competition for that left midfield role has obviously brought forth inspired form from both Kovacic and Barkley. Take note, Ruben. But again, I think that we wouldn't have invited too much pressure on our back four by playing the two more attack-minded midfielders together for the last half hour. In my ideal setup, Kovacic can sit back a little deeper as he's good at bringing the ball out from the back with a quick turn. And Barkley can lurk around the box and aim to get amongst the goals, as he's much more adept in that respect. I'm under no delusions that I possess even a modicum of Sarri's tactical nous, and there must be a method to the madness in persisting with Kante. But it would be interesting to see if Barkley could develop his own Kovacic-Hazard kind of relationship with Pedro or Willian. Preferably Pedro, as Willian can be a black hole for the ball. We were fortunate not to witness Mike Dean at his diva-like worst, but I think Young and Matic were both lucky to stay on the pitch after scything Hazard down on so many occasions. I agree completely. The devoted basketball fan in me wishes that football referees had the same inclination to protect marquee players and whistle for fouls with more regularity in the way that NBA referees do for stars like LeBron and Curry. I'm all for getting on with it, but Hazard doesn't have a courtois bad bone in his body and never goes down without reason to. Dean always seems to think that Eden is trying to dupe him 
as if he regularly crumbles into a heap at the slightest nudge. Ahem, Maratta. Given my initial frustration at his substitution, I was happy to be humbled by Ross as he found himself in the right place at the right time for our thrilling equaliser. What's funny is that both of our centre-backs really could have had a brace each. Louise had a chance on the one of the only good William free kicks so far this season, as she should have scored, barring the orchestrated brilliance at St Mary's. Keep hazard on set-piece delivery duty, please, and hit the post in the lead-up to the Barclay goal, while Rudiger had a point-blank chance to score on the ensuing rebound. De Gea showed his worth there. I bet Madrid are cursing United's fax machine now that they're stuck with the smug giraffe who wrongly figures himself as De Gea's con- contemporary. I know Louise will come in for a lot of scorn for the way he dived in on the counter-attack for Martial's second goal, but I won't hear it. Every defender has a mistake in him. See Van Dyke bundling over Jesus, sorry, Jesus, for a penalty in the City-Liverpool match. And none of the rest are slated in the way he is. I blame Neville and his PlayStation footballer comment. The Hazard banner was brilliant to see, and I hope it conveyed how much we appreciate him. It was brilliant, I agree. Now it's up for Marina to convey that with her checkbook. The ovation for Matter was absolute class. I really miss his presence in our side, and it was good to see the bit of banter he and Asby had after their coming together. The post-match reception for Jose was truly saddening to hear. I hate United as much as any sane person should and can appreciate a bit of stick, but I could never speak ill of Jose, who has brought so much success to our club. Even though we've acrimoniously parted ways on multiple occasions, I can't think poorly of him, and it hurt to see him have to remind the fans of the three Premier League titles he's brought us. We surely won't lambast Lampard in the same fashion when he returns to the bridge at Derby's helm. What did Mourinho do to deserve such treatment? On a positive note, I love the togetherness we've shown thus far and think it will serve us well when we eventually lose. Hmm, what if we go through the season without losing? It was laughable watching Pogba wrongfully scold Lindelof for his own error, especially given the harmonious way our side gets on. He's as much of a ghost in big games as Oscar was prone to being, but with an exponentially bigger ego. I'm excited to see how we fare in the busy period ahead, and I'm hoping we're still in this rich vein of form when I pop over from Canada for the Newcastle match in January. I also hope that Kovacic has ceased to be the human 60-minute whistle and that he and Barkley have combined for a wonder goal by then. Cheers, Tommy Milos. P.S. Wouldn't it be brilliant if the rumours came good and Madrid hired Conte, basically ending their courtship of Hazard? One can only dream. I think it's possible, isn't it, actually? They will hire him. That's the rumour at the moment. But the thing is, he, he's yeah, hanging on, like though, it, isn't, isn't he? That's the other rumour, that he's hanging on. Well, yes, the issue is absolutely. Chelsea. The legal absolutely. Issue, that's the problem. If I was Marina, I'd be saying, don't worry about it, go there now. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll buy your, yes, we'll buy your plane yes. ticket, mate. I think one of the... Forget about all well, the money the you owe us. One of the problems with Kovacic is I get the impression that, that he seems to get a bit knackered on 60. That's why he brings him on. I don't think it's um, uh, a tactical thing. I mean, I suppose it is in the sense that um, Ross has got a much better shot, as I've said before. I'm calling him Ross now. God, how familiar is that? Barkley's got a much better shot. Um, 
but I think it's it's lovely the way that Milos uh, um, admits that uh, that he came on and played well because he's looking good, isn't he? I agree that that uh, Kovacic is a very fine player, um, but I, I just I don't know how you do it and stick them together. It would be interesting if if yeah. What do you reckon, Liam? Well, I think you need Kante for the balance of the balance of the team. So I think it's difficult unless you shift the formation around to get them both in. Um, but I, I think Sarri will continue to do what he's done, which is sort of rotate them situationally, depending on the opponent, depending on the stage of the game and what Chelsea need. If they need to keep the ball, then he'll he'll probably favour Kovacic. If they need a goal or a little bit more impact in the final third, then I think he'll go with Barkley. And it's really encouraging for Chelsea to see Barkley's development because he's a player yeah. that... He's a player that their um, hierarchy is, has admired for a long, long time. They've, they've tried to sign him you know, two or three times before they eventually did. And to get him for 15 million, um, you know, I know everyone's very fond of saying, talking about the transfers Chelsea get wrong, but if, if Barkley comes close to fulfilling the potential that he's always had under Sarri, I mean, 15 million is an absolute steal. And it... I think his development this season is probably more, much more significant for Chelsea um, than anything Kovacic does because there's there's no guarantee that Kovacic will be around at Chelsea next year. You know, Barkley is under contract for the next three or four years, so they they are much more invested in in him. Even if Sarri will continue to to base his teams on merit, Chelsea as a club, I think would take far more heart from from Barkley really kicking on and establishing himself in in this team now because they they need they need young english players of his profile of his age profile coming through and and his talent type and uh he really seems to be to be finding his feet and and, and growing under under Sarri as a player mm, excellent stuff Okay, I just want to pick up on one of Tommy's points, and that was the. We, I mean, we did it to death at the beginning of the show, so I'm not going to go over it all again. But I'll just say that, you know, I I also to quote uh, Tommy, um, what does he say? You know, I also uh, appreciate him and wouldn't speak ill of him. And as I said, I've been consistent about that. But it's a very different thing when you're in the heat of battle, and when you're watching a football game in the stadium, you are in the heat of battle. And you know you get swept up in it, and and I certainly did on 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 Saturday, and uh, and I think Jonathan's point uh, was bang on because of course he he could see what was going on, and I couldn't. That I think that he thought that actually the chant was really instigated by the perception that that Mourinho was really kicking yeah. off at Sarri, uh, and, and that didn't help things. So there you go. I'm not going to apologise. Je ne regrette rien on that one. Um, okay, this is this one's brilliant, uh, uh, Jonathan. This is from. This is from Andrew Bailey. Now, Andrew is uh, Gaffer's yes. brother. Yes, he's right. written him you know before. Gaffer? He has. Yeah. Yeah, now yeah, they... yeah. Oh, no, he yeah. hasn't. He's and also, both him first and Gaffer... I didn't realise. No, I'm he's wrong. not written yeah. him before, but they, but both him and Gaffer uh, used to come down to Putney Station and be on the benches. Or certainly when Andrew was over from Australia, which wasn't very often, but he's certainly been on the benches when we used think, to do the show in Putney. I think he so came down to a to telly once as well, didn't he, Andrew? No, with Gaffer, no, no, no Gaffer. Because Andrew lives in is in Australia. Yeah, I thought so I saw him. I thought there was here. one moment when he was around. Oh, Maybe. Anyway. Um, Maybe. Hello, Chidge. Long time listener. First time emailer. 
Just wanted to make a few points. As someone who's not been fully convinced by the Kovacic loan, how many goals stroke assists do you think it will take to deem his loan a success? I ask because I've reservations about a player that Real played very sparingly. I find him to be all fur coat and no knickers at the moment. In my mind, he needs five to eight goals and the same in assists this season to make him worth a transfer fee. He had an air swing on Saturday, I mentioned that, that would have embarrassed Lord Mikel. All in all, the performance was okay. People need to remember United had three very good midfielders on display who wrestled the ascendancy away from us in the second half. Three months in, still unbeaten, and the team is taking shape. I look forward to seeing what the squad looks like by the time the season ends. Last thing I will mention is Louise. He made a bit of a howler for the scum's second goal. He either should have taken the ball or the man, and he took neither. But what a way to make up for it. His header in the 96th minute deserved better. But what a header. The leap, the power, the way he threw everything into making amends filled me with pride. I know he can make himself an easy target, but the geezer pulled one out of his arse to get us a point. Cheers, boys and girl, and good day from sunny Melbourne. Cheers, Andrew Bailey. Great stuff. It's interesting, isn't it? He got completely the uh, opposite view on Kovacic in the next yeah. email, which just kind of shows you how yeah. hard it is, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think, Liam? Do you, I mean, because, you know, he's going back on loan, isn't he? Possibly. Um, so how do we measure him as a, as a success? I mean, personally, I think he's done okay, but I think it's a, it's a contextual issue, isn't it? What is it you expect of him? If you expect him to be an attacking midfielder who's going to score lots of goals, then like Andrew, you'll be disappointed. If you expect him to uh, kind of give tactical balance to the side and link up well with Hazard, then you're going to be quite happy. Yeah, I don't thought. think you can judge him purely on, on goals and assists. Um, and I don't think that's what Sarri will judge him on. He's in there for... For, for tactical and technical balance in this team. He's in there because he's he, he's perfect for the way Sarri wants to play football, to to create this kind of midfield stranglehold um, from where Chelsea can, can base all of their play. And I think he has been a, an important part of that. Maybe not quite as important as, as Jorginho, but he's been a very nice counterbalance to, to Kante. He does his fair share of defensive work, which is... Something I like I, I like about Kovacic, he's a fairly complete player technically. Um, the one thing that he that he does lack is that he, his his finishing isn't isn't fantastic, and he, he's he's gone on record and said that he needs to improve that. Maybe it's terrible, Liam. It's terrible. Isn't fantastic? Yeah. Is 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 polite? It's he's bizarre that he can't shoot. Yeah, it, it is a little bit strange, um, and maybe maybe he'll develop. Uh, along those lines as the season goes on but even if he doesn't I think he's a very useful player for Chelsea this season he's a very useful player for Sarri and then I think Sarri will continue to to rotate him and Barkley depending on situations and then when it gets to next summer they will make a judgment call based on probably what their options are in the market if there's another midfielder that that ticks the boxes that, that Sarri has plus goals um, and those guys are quite difficult to find but if there is one then I'm, I, they'll probably go for him over Kovacic and 
and Madrid will keep him as the uh, as the in-house heir to Luka Modric, which is what seems to be their plan for him. The Twitterati, of course, will say, it's Mason Mount, they'll say. Mm, yeah, yes. well, we'll see about that. Um, all right, we've got the last one, which remarkably enough is also from Melbourne. And talking of Melbourne, uh, Daniel Thorne says, hi from Melbourne. Good to hear from our own Mr. Bailey. So there you go. It is indeed very good to hear from Mr. Bailey. I do hope you're well, mate. It's uh, fine time email, was, as was Milos, as was, um, uh, Milos's. Oh, loving his, lo- loving his love for Louise yeah, as yeah, well, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, this is from Russ Saunders. Good old Russ. Um, this email is a bit of a moan about things. In a world where most people have access to emails on their mobile, it's annoying not to get replies. Apologies in advance to your listeners for the rant aspects of this email. I hope that someone who can make a difference is listening. First, I'm going to mention Perth. Yes, it was great to have Chelsea in Australia, but I'm of the ilk that it's too far for pre-season. However, we're global now, and if other Premier League clubs do it, then so have we. For those of you who moan about the tourist being at Stamford Bridge, well, suck it up. Many Aussie, Aussie kids and kids all around the world have grown up watching us win, and when they have an opportunity to fly over, they want to be where it's at. Anyway, back to Perth. We took over 60 members. That's pretty good for us. It was a friendly after all. It's four hours to fly from Melbourne. Our club arranged to buy a block of tickets in the Chelsea Active area. Most of us assumed we could stand and sing with that active ticket. But sadly, the local security thought different. Brackets, Australia nanny state. Scared of the stereotypes of football from decades ago. Chelsea scored early and so we were on our feet anyway. Then came the complaints from the people behind who bought in the active area, as I'm sure they may have hoped to enjoy some Chelsea singing. Well, atmosphere at a non-competitive match overseas is never going to be like the real thing. A pointless purchase by someone who just likes us or the Premier League rather than gets up at all hours to watch throughout a season. Various arguments ensued with said security guard. He was verbally abusive to at least a dozen supporters along the aisle of our seven rows. Swearing like it was going out of fashion must have been on his pre-match debrief. I'm not sure that sort of behaviour is acceptable in a customer-facing role. I've never heard a flight attendant ask, do you want fucking beef or chicken on a flight, as an example. Then differences of opinion among ourselves led to most of us being pissed off with each other. Finally, the majority of us ended standing up at the back of the stand. 30 minutes into the match, the abusive security guard comes along with the chief of police for the occasion and apologises. Thanks, mate. You've already ruined the occasion for us. An apology now is as much use as a chocolate teapot. I left and went back to the pub for the second half. It was pissing down with rain anyway. I understand a few went back to our seats. A number of us complained when we got back to Melbourne. Optus Stadium did respond. I wanted a public apology from them. That security guard had ruined the whole weekend. The reason we'd travelled was to see Chelsea play. Brackets. Socialising with fellow Chelsea fans from around the country is always good, though. Close bracket. Optus Stadium felt that apologising to me on the phone was enough to put the matter to bed. I contacted Chelsea FC in Singapore. No idea how much time and effort they spent. Probably fuck all. When Singapore office called me, they said the phone call I received was all it was going to be. 
I wasn't happy. They said they'd follow it up again. But here we are, four weeks later at the time of writing this and, and nothing. At the same time, I inquired to Singapore office about a discount on Chelsea merchandise. Before the recent website change, the company who rang the Hong Kong distribution gave our members 15% off most items. It was brilliant. A lot of us spent a lot of money there. I hoped a similar arrangement could be organised. Four weeks and counting again for any news. In Perth, I spoke to Bruce Buck, complained about the ridiculous situation of the rest of the world supporters clubs being in the same bracket as Europe for loyalty points. An initial reply, then nearly three months later, nothing. Of course, everyone in Europe comes to Australia twice a year on holiday, don't they? That expectation works the other way, of course, so we can earn loyalty points each season if we happen to have unfortunately booked our travel when we play a Category AA match. Yes, that was sarcasm. People do book travel from Australia months in advance of fixtures before anyone suggests we always pick the AA match. The rule is as bonkers as Australia being in the Eurovision Song Contest. On something local, a company we dealt with for club merchandise sent us some faulty items. A month after a promise of replacing, I still wait. I'll email you when we send them. Tumbleweeds pass by my window. So, why do I bother? If you're at work and you get sent an email, I'm sure you don't ignore it for weeks. Do you think Chelsea FC actually care about the supporters, especially the ones that give hours up each week to build their community? I know plenty of Chelsea supporters in Melbourne who are now great friends and they appreciate the time and effort spent. And that's what keeps me investing time in this Melbourne club. Oh, to be paid to do it all one day. Paid for supporting your football team. My dream job. Like pay, being paid to be a golfer. Unless you're American and we're in their recent Ryder Cup team. I better finish with something that won't continue to keep your listening millions asleep. A couple of questions for your current guests or JK and Chidge. Number one, who plays instead of Jorginho if he gets injured? Number two, why can't we wear blue against the team who play in red and white? Another example of milking money from fans, been going on for years, sadly. Three, did JK ever share that Melbourne merchandise around last year that we sent over? Yes, I did. Um, CTID and KTBFFH, Mr. Grumpy in Oz. Oz. Oz? What am I saying? Oz. Russ. Blimey, lots of points there, Russ. Bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I address the first general thing of that first, and then we can answer the question yeah. directly? Uh, yeah, I, I remember when you spoke to Bruce uh, Russ, because I remember you telling me about it. Um, you know, I, I have no answer, I'm afraid. I mean, do the club... I think really the question is, do the club care? I mean, I think it's interesting because most people's perception would be, uh, certainly those of us who go every week and, and live near the ground, that uh, actually they don't really like us very much and they're much more keen on people from abroad coming. But actually this is a really good reminder and evidence that that couldn't be further from the truth. It sounds to me that they care as little about you as they do about us, which I find very irritating to say the least. I, I, I know I've got a lot of these other emails, Russ. I think it's it's time we, we, we took this as the supporters' trust to the club as well. Um, we've got a, a, a mandate that was passed about uh, helping overseas clubs. Uh, I'll get Dan on the case um, because Dan 
you know as you know he represents the overseas supporters on the on the supporters trust so leave it to me and i'll see what we can do but you know at the end of the day i think the club have an attitude as well you know we sell out every week why should we care and i really do think they think that uh, it's a simple money game and i'm afraid it's part of the short termism that you get in the corporate world in most companies certainly in this country and i suspect around the world sorry to be depressing but we can but try all right mate uh, by the way, uh, Andrew Bailey was listening to the uh, is listening to the show, uh, Jonathan, because he just uh, tweeted or whatever in Mixler, and he just said Grumpy Russell. <laughs> so he, he's obviously just to say, just to say, um, um, the answer to yeah. question one is m- probably Cesc Fabregas. Could be forgotten okay. about him, haven't we? Okay, ha- yeah. For how much longer well, though? This season, <laughs> be, beyond beyond that, uh, okay, who knows? Still no contract yet. It's so. a good question, isn't it? Um, I can certainly answer number two, Russ. I've got no bloody idea. It's an absolute ridiculous thing. I moan like stink about it because I couldn't stand it. Well, that's that what they're doing. They're selling it, it, aren't they, Chidge? Uh, they're selling it. That's what they're after. But exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's answered his own question. Yeah. He's absolutely right. It's just milking money from fans. It's as simple as that. There you go. And JK, I think you have Not to answer this. I gave them to this you, Chidge. Yeah, but I didn't get I got the mug. mug. I kept the yeah, mug. You got the mug. I kept the I mug, mate. Mug. Yeah, Jonathan yeah, kept the mug, that. Russ. I told him that. We no, it's fair enough. It was a it was a coffee mug. And but that was so? I liked it. I was allowed to pick, wasn't I? I think the point I'm making is why were there not two mugs? Oh, good point. I don't think there were. No, I, yeah. Regardless, I kept a mug go. and a badge. Um, yeah. All right. Next time you come over, Russ, bring us a mug. <laughs> it's a plastic That's all mug. I'm saying, mate. It's all pl- I'm saying. Yeah. It's not a oh, it's not it? a pewter mug like you know in 1933, you know with uh, it's not a, no it's not no a it's not mug. a China one either. It's not a pewter mug with to Chidge for all the best days you know we've had together or something. It's not like that engraved you know it's not that it's uh, yeah it's uh, it's but okay. it's it's got I'm, le- I'm less enamoured of it than I was but I still uh, want one um, supporters on it CFC supporters. Oh, mate, I tell you, I, I, I would love nothing more than to go back to Melbourne, where I went in 2011, uh, and did meet a few of the guys over there, although we had a complete cock-up on the communication front, and most of them all turned up after I'd buggered off absolutely shit-faced with Bobby Delcini and my wife. Um, but I know even more of them now, you know, and if I went back now, we could have an absolute evening or three, I can tell you. So there you go. I'll do it one day. I hope so. I hope to get back to Oz one day. It's a fantastic place. It really is. All right. Uh, we've got to move on. Um, I just want to say thank you for all of your emails uh, this week. They're brilliant. Um, now, as you know, we'll always try and read them out and uh, on the show. Uh, so make sure you send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com and do it uh, before Monday. Uh, because that's when I, I, I write the script on Monday. So if I get them kind of late Sunday, they'll get in. Now, uh, in the next part, we, this is brilliant. This is a little bit of a roundup of all the Chelsea supporter news and an interview with the wonderful Chris Barnett, who has produced the Bobby Tambling 202 film celebrating the career of Bobby Tambling. And it has contributions from Frank Lampard, Kerry Dixon, and Ron Harris, among others. Uh, and also, at the end of it, we've got a, a competition to win a DVD of the film actually signed by Bobby Tambling. And as I said earlier on, these are extremely rare. Only 25 of them were made. So this is a very special prize. So make sure you tune in for that. We'll be back after the break. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, 
and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge. You're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. Now, uh, some breaking news for you lovely people. Uh, the Chelsea Fancast is now available on Spotify as well as Acast. Who knew? Spotify. It only happened last week. I'm really chuffed about that because I'm a big user of Spotify myself. So there you go. So it's on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all sorts of other podcast distributors as well. Uh, and a reminder, of course, that uh, we'll be on Love Sport Radio this Friday uh, between 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock with me, Jonathan, Mark Worrell and Aaron Paul. And we'll be talking all things Chelsea. No doubt uh, our first reaction to the Chelsea Barte Borisov game. Best thing, of course, is that you can phone in and join in the show and the debate with us live. The number to call, of course, is 0208 70 20 558. And we will remind you of this before Friday or probably on Friday, of course, the podcast of it of the show is available shortly afterwards on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, etc., etc. Um, and please phone in. We love it when you phone in. It just makes us so excited. So we, we hear from uh, Mark Aurelius, Aurelius, who is in uh, Mixler at the moment, and Dan Burgess quite a lot. It'd be lovely to hear a few more of you, particularly some UK-based people. Do it. I know it's Friday night and you're all on the pub piss, but you know if you're not... Give us a ring. Uh, right, Kerry Dixon show. Hopefully, if I can track the great man down, uh, we will be doing a show together, as always, on the Thursday. That'll be up as a podcast same day. Uh, or hopefully, yes, it will be, because, of course, we've got a game on Thursday, which complicates matters. And don't forget, uh, if uh, you are a... Sub- well, we have Patreon, and we have many subscribers who we love, like brothers in arms and sisters in arms. Um, and it's great. I mean, if you if you like what we do and you want to support us in a, a little bit, then you can become a patron. Uh, helps to cover the running costs of the shows, of which there are quite a few these days, and uh, it's easy to do. So you can feel feel free to donate anything you want, as, as large or small as you like. I, I always say it's like the fans, which is only a quid. So you know, it's all in dollars. So a dollar a show, four or five dollars a month, that works for me. Uh, anyway, that's on uh, www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And uh, some news for those of you who were looking forward to uh, the Kerry Dixon banner being unfurled uh, at Man United. Now, this, of course, is is one of the things that I've done with the assistance of the Patreon subscribers uh, in a way to say thank you and something that's going to be visible in the stadium for them. So every time that they see Chelsea on the telly, if they're abroad or at the game, they know that they were responsible for this banner. And much overdue for Kerry, absolutely hugely overdue. Well, it arrived too late for us to set it up in the stadium on Saturday, which is a great disappointment, but I'm assured it will be there on Thursday night for the Barte Borisov game. And it is, if you're looking towards the Matthew Harding end, it's in the left-hand corner, okay, of the wrap round between the upper and the lower tier. So look out for it and feel very proud that you've contributed to it, I think. Um, And the other thing about Patreon, if you just want to send us a message... Uh, it's a very good way to get hold of me quickly because I do check them. I get notifications. So you want to ask questions uh, for the show next week or whatever, anything really, just ping us a message on there. I'm pretty good at getting back on those. And finally, uh, Alex Churchill is also on Patreon. So if you want to give her a bit of support too, go and search for the girl who likes balls there. Now, 
As always, a little plug for the Supporters Trust. Um, get your voice heard by the club. Free to join up to be a member, but if you want a nice shiny badge and if you want to be able to vote in the elections and attend our meetings, then it's a fiver, five quid a year. You can sign up at chelseasupporterstrust.com so you can attend the meetings, come to the events and vote in the issues that direct that voice heard. Uh, you can make that voice heard. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. And on Saturday, we had our first special general meeting of the of the season. Uh, which was good. We got through a lot of business, but also we had a very special guest in Henry Winter from the Times, who was absolutely brilliant. Stayed with us for about an hour and a half. Uh, I did a quick interview with him, and then we opened up to the floor, and he he was brilliant. Stayed right to the end, gave his time very generously. Uh, sadly, uh, normally I would record these or broadcast them live, um, but uh, regular listeners to Mixler will know that uh, we had a massive technical issue and it just didn't work. So I'm afraid there's no recording of it, but uh, all the more reason for people to come along to the meetings when we have them. Now, uh, CFC UK, the new one was out on uh, on Saturday. Uh, and of course, you can get it at the stall on match day uh, or from any of the sellers uh, near Fulham Broadway or Fulham Road. And of course, you can subscribe. If you can't get to CFC UK in person, you can always get it digitally by going to cfcuk.net. And if you're in the USA, follow the Twitter account at CFCUKUSA. And of course, um, if you want to get a copy, a proper hard uh, copy, then you go to Dan Lundberg, who is on Twitter at DLundberg underscore. And finally, uh, the CPO. If you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the Chelsea pitch owners, who, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea will always remain playing at Stamford Bridge. And to find out how to buy a share, email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners. And you can follow them at pitch owners on Twitter. And the shares are much cheaper than they used to be. So it's easy to get them right now. Uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, we've got this fantastic interview with Chris Barnett. Who uh, who's made a film about Bobby Tambling called Bobby Tambling 202. Uh, and uh, I interviewed him earlier today, and he talked all about that film. And at the end of this interview, there is a competition to win a very rare copy of the DVD. They only made 25 of them. It's signed by Bobby Tambling. They're all numbered. Uh, he told me today that Bruce Buck is getting the first copy. Uh, Bobby Tambling's having copy number 11 because it was after his shirt number. So if you want to win a DVD signed by Bobby Tambling of his film then you must listen to this. Well, it's a very, very warm welcome to uh, an old friend of ours, friend of the show who's been on before, um, the lovely Chris Barnett from Midnight Productions. Um, you may know him uh, if you've ever been around the Butcher's Hook on a Saturday or uh, or even the Fimber Arms now because he does great videos with uh, Ron Harris and Gary Chivers talking about the game that we've just seen. And it's great stuff, and I encourage you to check it out. At, uh, it's Chelsea, it's Chelsea, ChelseaFan12.com, isn't it, Chris? ChelseaFan12.com is the, the main website address. If, if you want, want to watch Chopper and Chips, you can go to YouTube and search for Fan12TV, and then all the uh, videos are on there for the, uh, for the Chopper and Chips after every home game, as you said. Excellent stuff. And uh, I, what, what's the score with the Finborough Arms, then? Because I, know, I noticed you just moved up there from the Butcher's Hook. Yeah, that's something that Ron actually organised. Um, I think the pub had reopened a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they asked if um, Ron and Gary, they're pretty much a pair, those two, the, the chopper chips. <laughs> the odd day. couple. They're, indeed they are. <laughs> uh, they asked if they would come down for a few of the home games. So I think uh, 
for some of the the bigger home games afterwards the chopper and chips are in there for, for, for half an hour or so and um we just move the filming there when when it's uh when it's required but normally we're outside the butcher's hook as you said and um we, you can normally spot us there and three lost souls and a, and a camera and a bit of a bit of a lighting going on and uh attracted a few fans who wave merrily a load of people come up to ron it's amazing you know he's not played f- football for ages has he but so many people come up to Ron while we're filming, just want to shake his hand. It's it's quite yeah. it's quite fantastic, really. And and to be fair, mate, well deserved actually with Ron. I mean, you know, I know legend is thrown around a lot uh, these days in sporting circles, but I think when it comes to Chelsea, you know, Ron Chopper Harris is still very much a legend. So that's really good to hear. Now uh, we've got you on the uh, got you on the phone uh, to talk about another what I would consider to be a Chelsea legend, actually. But I think sadly one who has uh, gone. Very much under the radar, and of course that's Bobby Tambling, uh, yeah. and you've got a you've made a big documentary about him. Uh, I mean, my first point really is actually kind of ties into what I was saying. In a sense, considering he was our our top scorer for so many years, um, it seems very long overdue that somebody's actually decided to make a film about him. Yeah, I think the situation with with Bobby is he's so unassuming himself that he just takes it all in his stride, and he's so proud and. That he managed to play for Chelsea and scored 202 goals for the club, but he doesn't go around there shouting it out. You know, when you see him at Stamford Bridge these days, he's 77 now. Doesn't get around so quickly uh, as he used to do in the old days with number 11 on his back. But he's so unassuming. And and when we've started filming people, we we, we were lucky to film Frank Lampard at Stamford Bridge at half time of a of a game against Watford last season. And even Frank said, you know, Bobby had gone under the radar. Kerry was, Kerry Dixon with 193 was always in people's thoughts, wasn't he? But mm. he, he was larger than life figure, wasn't he? He was the blonde-haired centre-forward that was scoring all the goals in the in the 80s and early 90s. But um, Bobby used to score goals in, in batches of three, fours and fives. And if Chelsea won 5 nil, he probably got four of them. And, and that, that's how he was. But I don't know why people haven't, latched onto him as much as they should have really because he is a, a a true legend of the club having spent so many seasons and scored so many goals for us mm. now i mean i think because of that i mean i, I i've met bobby a couple of times and he, he's without doubt a delightful chap um sadly i'm just too young to have seen him play mm-hmm. um i mean i would imagine you're about the same age as me possibly a bit younger chris but uh, i would imagine you didn't see him play either so you know, what's the impression that you have of him as a player at Chelsea? Well, he was all left foot and he came into a, a Chelsea team in the late 50s where Jimmy Greaves was just about to leave. And Jimmy had scored an amazing amount of goals in, in the short time he'd been there. Uh, Jimmy scored 132 in total for Chelsea, but he was only there for four years. I mean, that's unbelievable you know, wow. on an average. Uh, Bobby came in 59, Jimmy left 61. So you, you can imagine the crowd. You know, we we lost Costa and we got Morata. So you can imagine what it was like when we lost Jimmy Graves and got Bobby Tamling. You know, they wanted goal scores. And, and he was able to fulfil that. He scored on his debut against West Ham in a 3-2 win. Barry Bridges made his debut as well. They were both 17, those two lads at the time. And uh, they both scored, and it was Jimmy Greaves scored the winner, beat West Ham 3-2 at Stamford Bridge. And it was the first of 202 
and uh, you know, it, it, I think uh, Barry Bridges got ninety odd as well. So amazing, really, that Chelsea were able in early nineteen sixty to grab two goal scorers from the youth squad and, and bring them into, in the end, replace Jimmy that, that moved on to Tottenham. Mm, I mean, it's it's quite an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, you know, one wonders if uh, the likes of Jimmy Greaves and Bobby Tambling would would break through to Chelsea these days. I mean, if they, I because mean, I know Jimmy broke in when he was very young, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. And I, th- yeah. It, it's hard to believe that that could happen anymore. Well, the only player we can sort of compare it with at the moment is uh, Hudson Odoi, mm. who's at seventeen as well, isn't he? Yeah. And he played in the preseason, but he's not even on the bench. I don't think for any any other game so far. So, unless he came on and scored three goals. Um, they might keep him on the bench. But I guess the same would be for Marcus Rashford at Manchester United. He was brought in because they just didn't have any strikers left, didn't he? And came on and scored a couple of goals on his debut and kept scoring. And they had to keep him in the side. But it's so tough for the youngsters these days. I mean, it's 17-year-olds, you've got to be unbelievably good, like Ampadu is, to, to even get close to it, I think. Mm. So, um, apart, I, I kind of just want to talk about Bobby... Uh, individually in the film but before mm. I do that uh, I mean for me the most startling thing about the film is the fact that you've managed to bring together Chelsea's three greatest goal scorers in you know Frank Lampard with his 211 Bobby on 202 and of course Kerry Dixon on 193 uh, so you know how did they all get on together and, and what did they discuss oh they were brilliant together honestly it's like three mates down the pub without any alcohol it, it was truly memorable really we we worked quite hard to, to, to get it together um, because Bobby lives in Ireland so he, he's not always over here um, Frank was very busy he was just trying to get himself a job as a as a head coach somewhere just before he got to Derby uh, and Kerry is, is quite busy doing bits and pieces I know he does a show with you as well mm. and, yeah. uh, and he does lots of appearances so Basically, we spoke to Frank during that interview at Stamford Bridge. I met him for 10 minutes, and I said, look, we, we'd really like to get the three of you together. There's like one photo of you all together in the Chelsea archives, and we've never had the chance to get you to sit down with, you know, and we're making a film on Bobby. Would you do it? And, and Frank was brilliant. He said he would. And we took a couple of months to get hold of him to find a date, and we managed to all meet up for one day in the Chelsea Harbour Hotel, which was the, uh, the hotel where the players used to stay. I don't think they do that so much anymore. And um, we sat them, I basically sat them down next to each other and said, look, I'm here, the camera's there, but forget me and the camera. I'm going to throw you a couple of questions. And then you just discuss it between yourselves and feel free to butt into each other. And, and that's exactly what they did. And I was able to edit myself out of it. So... In the segment that we've got, which is about 12, 13 minutes long of the three of them, it's just the three of them talking. There's nothing. You you don't hear me. You don't hear any prompts. You don't hear any. It's just them talking. And it's unique, brilliant, entertaining. And I think a must for every Chelsea fan to watch, just to watch the film for that. It's great. And I can't believe that we were the first project that got all three of them together in one room because... Chelsea deserve to have all three of them together in one room and to bring out the discussions and how they scored the goals, the best goals, their favourite goals. Brilliant. 
Well, I, th- I think it's astonishing, actually. And, and as you said, I think it's quite significant in, in Chelsea's history to actually capture this on film. Uh, now, luckily, Chris, you've given us a couple of audio clips from the film, which has actually got them all uh, together talking about their goals, which we're going to play now. I did think it was a cross, yeah. I'm afraid. I'll tell you, I watched it last night again. Yeah. And, um, you know, like. Still across. There wasn't no one there, was there? It could have been a cross. It was a bad cross if it was. Yeah. The first touch is bad. Took me too far wide. I had the amber that. It was wrong. Should have been for wrong goal. So I'm still thinking, goal, goal, goal. Do you know what I mean? When you're trying to retrieve it. Yeah. So as I spun, no one in the box. I think Ballack was arriving a bit later, as, I, as I've seen it back now. So I just no, tried. There's no one near it. Instinct. It, it wasn't a cross, but it was instinct. Really the wrong thing to take on if you didn't score it. The best is the one uh, that won us the league in 2005. Bowling away. That's my best for a buzz. Followed by the goal broke your record. your whole teammates, yeah, yeah, you know, sort of um, wanted to congratulate yeah. you. So it was obviously a big buzz. Like yeah, it was. was. That was absolutely brilliant. I really appreciate you uh, letting us have that, a little kind of sneak preview of what they were talking about. But, uh, you know, was, was, was Bobby really pleased when, uh, when Frank broke his record? Yeah, I think he, in the end he was, because I think it had been going on for so long and people had been talking about it for quite a long time. That it was a, it was a relief. We speak to Bobby's in-laws, his Irish in-laws, um, over down in Cork. We went over to Cork to film for a weekend uh, last year, and and they were heartbroken when it happened. And they were all sitting in the pub together with Bobby in, over in Ireland watching it. It was Chelsea Aston Villa. And Frank scored the the goal that to got over top Bobby's record to make it two o three at the time for Frank and. They were mixed feelings. His family were like, oh, you know, how's Bobby going to take it? But Bobby was really happy about it. And, and it's one of Frank's favourite goals because of what it meant to, to him and to the club and all the team as well. So in the end, it was all positive. Excellent stuff. Well, Bobby's such a gent. I'm I'm hardly surprised by that at all. And I and, think... and they, yeah, they got on well with each other before that. They'd met each mm. other. Um, and, and in the end... It was Bobby Tamling that presented Frank Lampard with the golden boot. So, I mean, mm. it, it couldn't have worked out any nicer, really. I mean, I remember at the time, actually, Chris, I heard a story that, uh, you know, that Bobby phoned him up uh, just after the game at Villa when, when he broke the record. Do you think that's true? It was the other way around. It's the other way Frank, around. Frank actually phoned Bobby from the dressing room mm. and said, look, I'm sorry, <laughs> it, it's happened. And Bobby was just so delighted to get the call from Frank. Um, immediately after the game, they spoke immediately in, in the dressing room after Bobby, after Frank had done that, and and they had been in contact, and they're still in contact now. Mm. If you want to get hold of Frank Lampard, speak to Bobby Tambling. He's he's he'll ring him up, and they always have time to chat. So yeah, that that's a that's a true story. That 
that is that did happen yes that's absolutely lovely um so i mean you know that was frank's as we heard on the clip that was frank's favorite goal but uh, what was bobby's favorite goal his favorite goal was his debut goal at 17 because he felt it set him on the on the road to success you know if you come into a team as you said at such a young age and you don't score it's tough to get back in but he came in they had a lot of injuries that week. That's why both him and um, Barry Bridges had to play at 17. And uh, but they only, he only played that one game that season. It was amazing because it's part of the the interview. Kerry says, "How many did you score your first season?" And Bobby says, "One." Was one goal? <laughs> well, he said, "We only played one game." You know, as, as soon as he played the game against West Ham, they'd won. He was back in the in the the kids team the next week. Blimey. Well, I mean, maybe I don't know whether they mentioned this to Kerry at the time or not, but 202 goals and 366 appearances is not shabby at all, is it? No, not at all. Um, Bobby does sort of make a caveat, saying, well, you know, I'll mention it now. Uh, they were in the second division, a lot of them, and, but Kerry's like, and the goals. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like Kerry. <laughs> you know, Kerry's like, goals are goal. Yeah. And that's, uh, I asked him, what. Have you ever, you know, what's your favourite goal? What's your best goal? And Kerry and Frank both said, well, I've never scored a bad goal in my life. Mm, mm, Every goal is a goal and it's on a piece of paper as, as one and that'll do me. Yeah, proper goal scorers. Um, yeah. I mean, as well as Frank and Kerry, you know, talking to uh, to Bobby in the film, you've got some other ex-players in there as well, haven't you? Yeah, we, we caught up with Ron Harris, of course. He, was, he came into the team just after Bobby did a couple of years later. Uh, so he, he played with, with Bobby for, for a while at Chelsea. Uh, Gary Chivers we spoke to as well because he works with Bobby at Chelsea now going around the corporate boxes and they, they're together every home game pretty much uh, having, a, having a chat with all the uh, all the fans. And we spoke to Stevie Kemba as well. Really? Yeah, because uh, he, he's obviously known for Crystal Palace and, and Bobby left Chelsea to play with uh, Crystal Palace. So he was at Palace for a while after he left and played with Steve for a little bit before he went over to Ireland to to Cork. So we got the... And we also spoke to Johnny Hollins as well, who was... Uh, Bobby Townley was a big influence on, on John Hollins settling down at Chelsea when he first came in. So we got some nice names in there as well, yeah. Excellent. Always good to see some of the old players represented. Uh, knowing Bobby, I would presume he came out with some pretty good anecdotes. And I mean, I know there's some great stories. Um, you know, obviously he, he, you know, the World Cup and uh, a little mm. story about George Best. Do you want to kind of give us a bit of a sneaky preview of some of those anecdotes? Yeah. Well, the World Cup. He got into the squad, the the, the, the pre-squad for the World Cup '66, the, the England winning World World Cup team, um, and and he played. Uh, a couple of games uh, for England, I think three caps for England. He scored a goal, as you would, uh, against France for them. Um, but he didn't get into the final cup. And in those days, they kept all the London players together. So he was in, like, digs with Peter Bonetti. And the other three were uh, Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters and Bobby Moore. And so the five of them were all standing digs together. And out of the five, only Bobby didn't get in. Mm. But um, he's very philosophical about it and says he probably didn't deserve to get in. He wasn't good enough. It's mm. very to honest. Quite in that England squad. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Oh, very honest of him. Very interesting too. Because I mean, mm. I didn't didn't uh, because I, as I recall, I mean, bearing in mind I was one years old at the time, but uh, 
uh, from what I recall reading about it, um, there was a really large squad of about 50 players, wasn't there, before it got cut down to the, the, the eventual squad size. And I think Marvin yeah. Hinton was in the original squad, as was Ozzy, I think. Right, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a photo of them that we have in the film um, of the England squad. There's just loads of them, all, all wearing blue tracksuits. Mm. Uh, and so many famous faces there from the old days. Uh, and, and obviously, the big story was in the final that... Uh, Jimmy Greaves didn't get in the team. I mean, scoring all those goals and couldn't get in the team. And they brought Jeff Hurston and the rest is the definitely rest is history. history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, the, the, now, so tell me about the George Best story then. Well, George Best story was uh, he got over to County Cork to play over there because he'd had Achilles problems at Bobby. And um, Paddy Mulligan, who used to be at Chelsea, of course, as well, and, and was at Palace said, look, I know where you can go. I'll set you up. You can play over in Ireland because it's softer over there. There's a lot more rain and the pitches are softer. It would prolong your career. So Bobby went over to Cork and was welcomed in there and played for them for a while. And, of course, he was still very good, wasn't he? So he was scoring goals and everything. And then they made him manager. And in, and in those days, there seems to have been uh, like an X factor of people who have just come over for a couple of games, mate. You know, and like Alan Ball went over there, and 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 all sorts of players went over uh, just to play like one or two games for, for the Irish teams. And um, Bobby managed to get George Best to go over and play for his Cork team a couple of times. And he was so nervous that you know the players were going to be all in awe of George. And he, he was such a lovely guy. And he just got in the dressing room and said, "Right, okay, lads, you know, let's have a good, good game today." Let's go out there and see if we can win. And he played a few games for Cork, put a few people on the gate, obviously. They wanted to see the great George Best play. And that was down to Bobby. Blimey. And when was this? Oh, wow. That would have been in the end of the 60s, early 70s, wow. I think. So, yeah. so Best was still very much a great player then. This is kind of yeah. not mid-70s yeah. when he declined no, a bit. No, it's before he went to Fulham, mm. because I remember Bobby saying in the film, and he wasn't at his best, but a few months later on or a year later on, or so he went to Fulham and played there for another couple of seasons with Rodney Marsh, and uh, I think Bobby Moore was there yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, it's great for any anyone to watch George Best play. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to know him a little bit myself um, as, a, as a young kid. My mum knew him, and... Uh, I met George a couple of times. We actually watched a football game together. I was like made up, beyond believe, as you can imagine. Now that's quite incredible because I mean, let's be honest here. George Best is still possibly the greatest player that's ever come out of the British Isles, isn't he? I would have thought so. Mm. He was he was unbelievable. You know, you, you talk about players changing games and and carrying a team, and no one player's bigger than the team. But boy, you gave George Best the ball, you got a chance of scoring a goal at any stage of the competition, and. He was uh, such a lovely guy, and, and I remember me, him, and my mum going to Altrincham, the, the mighty Robins at Altrincham in, in Cheshire, and you can imagine what the crowd looked, because he was still playing for Man United at the time, what the crowd were like. I'm sitting down with him, and the, everyone's standing up going, that's George Best. Yeah. yeah, I was about five or six, I think, yeah. I don't know. Blimey. I was, was quite young anyway. Yeah. First first rock and roll football star, really, wasn't he? Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, like Bobby, Bobby nowadays, I mean, many people will probably remember, um, you know, Bobby wasn't very well not so long ago and uh, was uh, did the kind of lap of honour around the bridge mm-hmm. at, at half time in a wheelchair. But he, he's much better now, isn't he? Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's a lot better. He doesn't to run around too quickly, but neither do I, and I'm a lot younger than him, so he's, he's got a few years on me. If I'm still going at that age, 77, around Stamford Bridge, um, welcoming the guests, I'd, I'd be very happy. Yeah, there was, the story with the wheelchair is that he, he had very problems with it, with his leg, and the, the doctors really didn't know what it was, and then they misdiagnosed it, so they were treating it for something he didn't have, which only made what he had worse. So he was getting worse and worse, and there was a point when, in, in, in from, well, up to last season, really, at half-time, Chelsea legends used to come around, parade around the pitch, didn't they? Mm. And uh, they got him to come over from Ireland with his family, but he was in a wheelchair, and his family were kind of thinking this will be the, the last time Bobby might be at Stamford Bridge because he's really ill and they can't fix him, he can't walk. And his brother-in-law pushed him around Stamford Bridge. There was tears all over the place, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, there. Including the crowd as mm. well, yeah. Um, and, and his brother-in-law was, was pushing him around Stamford Bridge. He said, God, this is, because the pitch is not really made for a wheelchair. No. So it, was, it was really heavy, and he was really struggling to get around. And he got around to the corner, and he saw all these blue flags and blue shirts, and he goes over there, and they're all waving and shouting. And in the... Brother-in-law says to Tom, Bobby, says, Bobby says, they absolutely love you here. They they can't get enough of you. He said, get over the other side there. These are the Everton fans. We'll get over to the Chelsea end. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah. so he, even the Everton fans were, were supporting Bobby at the time because uh, he didn't look in a the, in the good way, but he's a lot better now, thankfully. Oh, that's good to see. Now, the most important thing of all, Chris, is uh, is how people can get to see this film uh, I know it's it's it, well. When, first of all, when's it out? And and most most importantly, as I said, how can people get hold of this film? Okay, it's out now. It came out on Saturday to coincide with the Manchester United game, so that's when it was released. Um, what you got? All you have to do is go to ChelseaFan12.com, click on videos, and and you'll see the picture of Bobby there. And then you can click on that, and then for two pounds ninety nine. You can watch the film for, I think it's five days or something like that. Uh, you can watch it as often as you want within that time period. Excellent. It's just just two ninety nine to watch the film. It's an, an hour long, and uh, as you mentioned, it's got loads of great people in there, including Bobby and uh, and that m- marvellous interview with, uh, with Frank, Bobby, and, and, and Kerry. Any Chelsea fan would want to watch that. It is good. Mm. You'll love it. When you see it, you'll love it. You'll think I'm a hero after you've seen it. I'm looking forward to it. Because, I mean, I remember Kerry talking about it when it was going on. So I kind of got a sneaky preview a mm. long time back. But there's something even more important about this, isn't it? Because it's quite unusual. I mean, this, in a sen- essentially, you, it's, this is kind of like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime model. And, mm. uh, you know, most people expect it to either go in the cinema or on telly or on DVD. But there's a very good reason why you've done it like this, isn't there? Yeah, well, now the youngsters these days, uh, they all want everything now, don't you? If you order something, you don't get it, get it delivered anymore. You just get it downloaded. Um and, and what we thought was we, we'll put them 
at a price of two ninety nine, which is cheaper than a cup of tea and cheaper than coffee in any coffee shop these days, I'd have thought, mm. to give the world the opportunity to watch it. In, 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 if you produce a DVD, that's only going to be valid for Europe anyway. It's not going to be valid in the US. Um, people in other countries won't be able to see it. With this, you can watch it wherever you live. And you can watch it whatever time of day you you want to wherever you live, and it also gives uh, a little bit of the the money that goes to it will go straight to Bobby as well to to help him out in his in his elder you know older age days, and um, maybe you know not have to come over for every home game to Chelsea to uh, to work. So it's a, it's a different model than the DVD, but the DVD takes a while to get there uh, as i say it's only valid for certain countries well this way and hopefully people will just look at the look at the ad on twitter or facebook or on instagram whatever it is and then just click onto it and then for 2.99 you know you don't have to think about it too much do you really i mean if you want to want to buy a dvd and it's 15 pound you might have to think well you know i might buy it at the end of the month but two ninety nine, I don't think many people would miss that, and, and they're going to get something really good for it in exchange. I think that's great, and and in particular, I think it's fantastic that the, uh, you know, much of the money going, uh, you know, that you make on this film is going to Bobby because I think mm. he, he's very deserving of that. So fair play to you. Now, I, I happen to know, Chris, that uh, having said there are no DVDs available, that you did actually make a very special limited run. Uh, and they're all signed by Bobby, and you're uh, offering one of these up in the uh, in a competition for us, aren't you? This is very true. Part of my post-game work at Manchester United was to get Bobby Tamling to sit down and sign 25 DVDs. So we made up 25. Uh, number one goes to Bruce Buck, because uh, he helped us out very much uh, to film at Stamford Bridge, where we made a lot of this, and to... Uh, get access to to Frank at half time, which was incredible on a match day, unheard of. Really, no football club wants a, a, a rogue film crew walking around a match day, but they let us do it. So Bruce is getting at number one. Bobby's got number eleven, obviously because of his shirt number. Uh, and so we have twenty five, and they are all numbered one to twenty five, and uh, we're going to give one away to to your lovely listeners in any way you'd like to then Dave. Okay. Well, um if it's won by somebody that can't play it on a on the like a, an American with an NTSC system, they only have themselves to blame and they can just have it as a as a thing with Bobby's signature on it. That's our that, that's our caveat yeah, emptor. That's just the DVD sorry, with Bobby's signature, I think. Well, you're right, yeah. Yeah, well that, that's our caveat emptor as well, so we'll be all right. Uh so do you have a question for the competition? Um I do well there's a question that is contained in the film. If, if that's kind of pushing it too much, I'm not sure. But no, people no, go for it. Have a look. Uh, Bobby scored an own goal at Stamford Bridge when playing for Chelsea against Peter Benetti. Um, was, and, and Frank was quite keen of taking one of his 202 goals off him because of that. He wanted to make it 201 because he scored an own goal, but Bobby wasn't having that at all. So uh, against which team did Bobby Tambling score an own goal at Stamford Bridge against Peter Benetti. I'll give you three opportunities because there's a competition elsewhere. Was it either West Ham, Stoke or Leicester? And uh, 
you can figure that one out and enter the competition. Right, let me just get this straight so we don't get this wrong. Basically, for which team was... Uh, so which team did he score an own goal against? Against, yeah. He was playing for Chelsea. Right. And um, Bonetti was in goal and he gave a back pass to Bonetti and he, was too, he put it too hard and he went in the net. He so, hadn't scored for, for like 15 games as well and he scored an own goal. But against which team was right. that? West Ham, Stoke or Leicester? So he scored for che- an own goal for Chelsea, if you see what Correct. I mean. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was a goal for West Ham, Leicester or Stoke City, yeah? Yes, correct. So yeah. which, which team was it against? Which team did Bobby Tambling uh, score an own goal for? Was it West Ham, Leicester or Stoke City? Brilliant. Now, if you want to answer that and you, you can find the answer... All you have to do is email us at chelseafancast at gmail.com uh, and I think we'll we'll put a cap on it by next Friday uh, and then you can possibly win a signed copy of the Bobby, Bobby Tamling 202 film made by Chris Barnett on DVD, signed by the great man himself. How about that? I think that's fantastic. Very generous of you, Chris. Well done for that. And no Chris, it's been as always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Love catching up with you, but uh, I think it's... Uh, you know, a very worthy cause, and I'm sure it's a great piece of work. I can't wait to see it myself. So, congratulations to you, and well done. Yeah, thanks very much. And if you're desperate to win that DVD, if you watch the film, then Bobby does mention the ta- team that he scored the goal against. So there you, you can find it out. <laughs> well, there you go. You see, the, the, the answer is always in the question, in a sense, isn't it? So all you have to do is watch the film for two ninety nine online. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, you can get an opportunity to win the DVD, and I've given them, I've given them the whole week to go and figure that out. And remi- okay. remind us where they can download the film, Chris. I should also mention there's a great goal that Frank talks about in the film that Faroe Seventeen, who's one of the great animators of the uh, the modern world, and he's animated this Chelsea Frank Lampard goal, the one at Barcelona that he scored when he kind of flipped it over the, the goalkeeper's head. There's an animation in the film as well. By, uh, by Feroz 17, who's based in the USA, who did this exclusively for the, for the for the film. So there's so many reasons to watch it. And it's at all the W's, ChelseaFan12.com. Go onto their page. You can have a look around, click on videos, and you'll see there's a, a film there for, for Bobby Tamling. There's also films there for Ron Harris and Kerry Dixon that are made, and they're all 2 each. Brilliant stuff. And uh, as I said, if you want to win the competition... Which team did Bobby Tambling score an own goal for? Uh, was it West Ham, Leicester or Stoke City when playing with Chelsea? And he, he put it past Peter Bonetti. So if you know the answer to that, if you want to win the DVD, email chelseafancast at gmail.com. Uh, Chris, uh, many, many, many thanks for agreeing to talk to us again, having done so on Friday's Love Sports show as well. That's very, very kind of you. And I hope I will see you around the bridge very soon. Great stuff. Thanks for the opportunity and... Uh... Let's get all those Chelsea fans behind it and, and hopefully a lot of them will, will go and download the video, watch it and enjoy it, get back some good memories and, and help Bobby at the same time. Yeah, amen to that. Well done, mate. Great stuff. Really enjoyed doing that interview with Chris. Uh, he's a top, top, top bloke and uh, Bobby's also a lovely bloke. So I think the message from that is, uh, you know, do go to their website. Uh, I'll put a link on the uh, the blog that we do for the podcast. But go to the website, pay your £2.99, you get to watch the film. It's a great way uh, to do it. It's so accessible to everybody. And, of course, it helps a great man like Bobby Tambling, who will get a lot of those proceeds. So get on it, folks. 
Now, sadly, that's all we've got time for tonight. We'll be back next Monday to report back on the Barté-Borisov Europa League tie at the bridge on Thursday and, of course, Burnley away on Sunday. Don't forget to tune into the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio on Friday this week between 7 and 9 and me, Jonathan, Marco, Worrell and Aaron Paul. We'll be talking about uh, the Barté-Borisov game, of course, and looking ahead to the Burnley game. And please, please, please phone us up. It'd be lovely. Just phone us. We love it. Uh, so join in the show, debate with us live, and the number to call is 0208 Now, uh, as I said before that, uh, on Thursday I should be doing a podcast with Kerry. Kerry Dixon always has his tranchant views, and that's also available as a podcast, as is the Love Sport radio show. So there you go. Okay, of course, before that, on Thursday, make sure you join me and Kerry, uh, Kerry Dixon, Chelsea legend, for the return of the Kerry Dixon show. All our shows are available as podcasts on Acast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast media. You can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, and Liam at Liam underscore Toomey. And of course, check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com. And many thanks, as always, to Heon and all the Chelsea Fancast bloggers for putting their content up during the week. Great stuff. Uh, now, um, brilliant stuff. Really enjoyed tonight. Now, uh, guys, uh, time to say goodbye. So, Liam, have you enjoyed yourself I have yourself very much tonight? so. Thanks for having me again, Chidge. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure having you on, listening to your very wonderful insight onto the game and Chelsea in particular. Jonathan, lovely to have you. As always a joy, Chidge, as always. And lovely emails. Thank you. And also lovely to be on the same show Great as stuff, the, uh, right. the excellent Liam Toomey. So, good stuff. Yes, I quite like it with three people, by the way. We have a bit more breathing yeah, space, yeah. don't yeah, we? We? We, can, we can... I can dribble on a thought. bit more. This, I like that. So. <laughs> well, we, we, we love it when you dribble on a bit, as long as you don't dribble on us. Uh, right, we've got to go. Uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, thanks for listening. See you all next time. Till then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep Up it chills. Up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.